what really gets my dick hard is Hey, this is Rye from Sabbath Bloody Podcast, and my brothers, Clint and Ethan, are about to shove some metal up your podcast, one episode at a time. Welcome to Metal Up Your Podcast. I'm Ethan Luck. And I'm Clint Wells. This is episode number 84. Man, we're getting up there. I know. Wow. But this uh, this episode, we're doing a part two of the gear episode. This week, we're talking about Kirk Hammett's guitars. Yeah, the, the James Hetfield gear episode went so well. I must say, uh, I'll eat my own words, I was surprised. I didn't think it would go over so well, but... It did. The, the fans have spoken. They really liked it, so we've decided to go ahead and do our part two, talk about the Hamsters. Yeah. Notable guitars. We can't do all of them. Not often, but notable. But his notable guitars, and e- well, even his notable guitars were like twenty-five guitars. Yeah, there's a lot of guitars. Uh, so we're gonna burn that whole thing down. Talk about what's what's different, what's special. Kirk has his own kind of flavor. Yeah. Even beyond the graphic prints that he does for the horror films, even to to his pickups and his tremolo systems. Before we get into all that, if you're just joining us for the first time, amazingly, somehow you just How? heard of us. How? James Hetfield just. Tweeted about it yesterday, maybe. <laughs> maybe he did, maybe he did it. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. Probably, I don't follow him on probably Twitter. Probably so. Uh, we're an All Metallica podcast. Ethan and I are two touring professional musicians who get together once a week to talk about our favorite Metallica metal band, Metallica. I love my favorite Metallica <laughs> metal band, Metallica. <laughs> I, I literally never say that right. <laughs> right. We get together to talk about our favorite metal band, the Mighty Metallica. The Mighty Metallica. See, Whatever. That was easy. It was pretty easy. You did it. I did. I'm so proud of you. I like me today. (laughs) I like you so much. All right, before we get into that, we're going to burn through some housekeeping. We have an iTunes. The people have been going and leaving reviews. Yeah. They really have. The reviews keep going up. You know what I think it was is when we told them not to do it, it's like telling the kid not to to touch the the hot burner on the stove. He's going to do it. Don't touch the the sour tooth. Ow. Exactly. Ow. 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 So all I have to say, we have an iTunes. We thank you for (laughs) leaving us reviews. And you know what? Don't keep leaving us reviews. That's stupid. (laughs) I mean, if that's what really worked. I mean, we're really lucky that we do have a lot, and yeah. we have a lot of momentum on the review thing. Right. However, it does only take a second. Right. And so, it, it, if anything, it's just a quick little thank you if you dig the content of the show. Yeah. We can't stress enough, though, if you don't want to do it, no problemo. It's fine. It's totally you okay. You don't have to. No one's forcing you to do anything. We also have a Patreon, and if you don't know what that is, it's a really cool way. It's patreon.com slash Metal Podcast. You're going to hear about it a little later. But it's a way for you, if you really do like the show beyond wanting to leave a review, you can go camp out there. You can uh, donate money, but we give you all sorts of shit back for it. One of the That's coolest right. things, which we haven't really mentioned in a while, personally, other yeah. than the commercial, is you thought I made a really bitchin' covers EP. Yeah. We fully recorded it. We played every instrument on it. We mostly did deep cuts, and we did them differently than you might think. We didn't. Yeah. We did not. Uh, we, we sort of reimagined them, put our own spin on them, had it professionally mixed and mastered. And the only way to hear that is over at Patreon. That's correct. Yeah, which is pretty cool. Uh, it's very cool. And every month we give away five gifts to our patrons, which we have the July winners that we're going to announce on this show. Yeah, we're going to announce them at the end of the show. Now, I just wanted to say something real quick about the Patreon. I've been P- thinking please about do, it. Please. Now, what's on your mind, Clint? <laughs> gather everyone, take a knee. Remember, shh, 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 shh. Remember, Clint's going to say something. Remember when you were like in the high school gym class 
and the coach of that class was like the coach of the football team. Yeah. And he'd kind of treat the class like you were on the football team. But you were, I was always kind of like, I'm not on the fucking football team. Yeah. All right, man, gather around, take a knee. Take I'm like, a knee. wait, this is gym class. This isn't football practice. Can't take a knee nowadays. Dude, I slept weird on the bus the other day, and my back has been hurting for like eight days. You've been taking a knee during the show? I, I can't do anything physical anymore. <laughs> <laughs> the risk of hurting myself. Clint, welcome to the age uh, of your life where... Uh, things start breaking down and the warranty is expired. Remember when you were a kid and someone would fall down, you'd be like, ha ha, that's funny. Yeah. If I see an adult fall down these days, I'm like, hey, are you okay? That, still, could, that could be really serious. I still kind of laugh. <laughs> if, if I'm in my car and I can't like get to anybody, you know, if I see someone like walking across a crosswalk and they kind of trip and like take a quick little tumble and if they get up, then, right. I, then if, I laugh. If they're okay, as yeah. I'm walking away, I will smirk or giggle or laugh even if it's just in my mind. Right. But when it goes down, it kind of feels like a serious event. Oh, yeah. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. When you pass like 35. It starts to get dicey. Yeah. Like when I go to the skate park and I, and I take a tumble, it takes me a lot longer to get up. <laughs> about six months. <laughs> In one case, it did take me about two months. I cracked, some, I uh, bruised some ribs at the skate park one time and I, could, I couldn't sleep on my right side for about yeah, a month. It's so weird. Yeah, it sucks. Like if I sneeze these days, I'm like, well, yep, time to the muscle in my back. <laughs> but I just, I did want to. Call the ambulance. <laughs> I was thinking like, you know, we get together every week despite the odds. I mean, our schedules are so insane and uh, we keep the show ad free. It will always be ad free. We will never. We may have someone on here who helps us with a product that we love, like Tone Tubby. Yeah, if we ever have a sponsor, that's a little. That's different than just running an ad or something. But we like, will never sponsor anything that we don't dig ever. That's right. And you know, honestly, we've only had one sponsor in an entire year and a half. Yeah, Tone Tubby. So the content is completely unfiltered, unadulterated. This is just me and Ethan. It's what we think. Yeah. Um, and we're going to keep it that way. Yeah. But one of the things that really helps us do that, that helps it make it worth it, is the support we get at the Patreon. Correct. And everything sincerely different about the show, I believe, or elevated or cool about it, in terms of the EP, the t-shirts, the bitchin' website we have, yeah. is only possible through Patreon. Correct. So we just think the world of the people who get on the ride at that level. Yeah. And the last thing I want to say about it before we... I know people are tired of hearing this already is... <laughs> If you can't do it, if you can't donate it, it's basically like a cup of coffee yeah. a month. Five bucks a month really goes a long way for us. Right. Tens of thousands of listeners, if even 1% of you just do $1 or $5 a month, it goes a long way. But if $1 or $5 a month is too tough for you to swing, don't sweat it. Don't sweat it. Don't. It, everything's cool. If you got shit going on with your, in your personal life or you want to support the show but can't really get on at that level... No problem. Well, even just your feedback is support to the show. Absolutely. When me and Clint read emails, when we read reviews on iTunes, comments on Twitter, Instagram, whatever, that that is encouraging to us and that is support. So. Absolutely. And so, and we're grateful for all of you who listen, but I just really did want to shine a little light on the old Patreon. Oh, yeah. We got three new ones this week. We want to, at the bare minimum, we give them a shout out on the show. Do yep. you want to name our new patrons? I would love to. We have three new patrons this week. We have David Barnes, Richard Goldenson, Goldenson. And uh, Brian McLaughlin. All right. Oh, let's give Everyone, it up. thank you. Let's give it up. Wow. Thank you so much, guys. We really appreciate it. And by the way, this episode is sponsored by Heinz Ketchup. <laughs> Are you... Sorry, I'm a Heinz guy, not a Hunts guy, right? There's those two. Um, Hunts and Heinz are the two big Hunts ones Hunts and the Heinz South. are the big ones. Um, Heinz 57? I don't buy ketchup that often anymore unless we're like cooking out or something. Yeah. But um, I'd probably go with Heinz. Uh, I try to eat a little healthier in my, in my, at my age, so... Mm-hmm. 
That brand, Amy's, is an organic brand. My wife now gets the organic ketchup. It's good. They make a, the, the, uh, Amy's has a barbecue sauce that I love. I think you know this, but I don't know if our listeners know this, but we're, we're vegan at the house now for real, for real. We yeah, really are. Yeah. Clint and his wife are vegan at home. <laughs> and, um, it was, it, it, it's funny after all the jokes I've done about you. Agreed. And you're not even vegan. I'm just vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> I just started, I, I started eating eggs again. That's the only difference. But, um, but they're not real eggs. They're, oh, those. Powdered sugar eggs, yeah, made from nutritional yeast, made in a cauldron by a demon witch. That's right, <laughs> in the depths of the seventh layer of hell. <laughs> um, no, so it was funny when whenever Clint told me this because I was like, my immediate thought when anyone ever goes vegetarian or vegan, I'm always like, why well, if you need some help or want some pointers or I can come over and show you how to cook tofu or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to eat tofu. So, oh, we're rocking a lot of tofu. Yeah. Oh yeah. Let's sit down. Yeah, there's a really great brand um, of fake. It's called Corn Q U O R N. Yeah, they make good stuff. And it's uh, it's not soy based. It's fungus based, but it's not mushrooms. And we eat the shit out of that. I mean, yeah. it tastes exactly like chicken. Um, another great brand is a brand called Field Roast. They make okay. good stuff. We do Morning Star sometimes. Morning Star. Um, Gardein is a good one. Okay. Um, I'll, you know, I'll make you. I'll make, make you a mixtape. A, a mixtape yeah. of vegan food. I'll make you. I'm gonna write songs about all the the vegan options that you should be eating. Well, here's where you can definitely not hear me pontificate about veganism is at our socials, <laughs> Instagram, which we may even do an Instagram live after this. Well, who, who knows? Yeah, Maybe. We, we can do a vegan cooking show. Might up your podcast <laughs> in the kitchen. <laughs> God, just watch the followers. Just watch the unsubscribes. Uh, we're on Instagram, Twitter. Amazingly, all of this Facebook, Spotify, YouTube. Just Google or look up Metal Up Your Podcast. We're on all that stuff. We're pretty active on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. The website, as aforementioned, metalupyourpodcast.com with t-shirts. We just talked before the show, and it might be it might be happening yeah. that we're going to do a special run of f- just 50 shirts of Lunar Satan and the Cover Our World Blackened EP cover the artwork yeah we're, we're talking about sans doing, sans MU you know Mel your podcast it'll just be yeah, just the artwork. amazing artwork yeah because we having the title on there I think we you know probably goofy on a shirt it's no, just, just, just going to be yeah. the artwork so stay tuned for that of course that'll be fun I forgot to tell everyone that I was a guest on single podcast theories last yeah. maybe their last two I can't remember their 50th episode we did uh, an episode on Eddie Vedder go check them out they're great friends of ours good God and we read five emails a week Let's go ahead and go to the email corner. I'm ready. Okay. Uh, uh, Our first email is from a vegan, and he says, I I prefer tofu over seitan. (laughs) Uh, Anyone who prefers tofu over the Dark Lord Satan needs to just get out of the kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, our first email is from uh, Richard Richard Goldenson, Golden Son, the Golden the Golden son. Child. The, another great I Eddie want Murphy the movie. knife, <laughs> please. That's another good Eddie Murphy movie. Yeah, um, Richard Goldenson, by the way, new patron, new Thank patron. You. Says, uh, finally took the whole two minutes to become a patron. Um, it's not much, but hope it helps, guys. Keep on doing what you're doing. Cheers. Well, we thank you very thank much you, for Richard. That, Richard. We appreciate that. Can I call you Dick? Can I, Dick Goldenson? That's Dick, a great lawyer name. Dick Goldenson is a good porn name. <laughs> Do you, can you finish this jingle? Call Goldberg, 800 600 6014. Today. Did you ever grow up hearing that? Nope. You grew up in California, that's why. Yeah. yeah. Huge regional commercial here really? in the South. 
Because here's what was genius about it. It was some sort of ambulance chasing <clears throat> horrible lawyer. Right, right, right. But that was the song. Call Goldberg, 800, 600, 6014. And they played it like 18 times in the commercial. Right. Fantastic this, every melody, kid, by the every way. Every person my age knows that goddamn song. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that one. Do you have a similar one? Do you uh, have a jingle you remember from, uh, from childhood? From adolescence? Um, yeah, there, okay, so there was, you know, uh, there's like the car dealerships are like someone's name, Ford, or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah. Come down Town to, and Country Ford. Yeah, come down to Clint Wells Acura, <laughs> or whatever. You know? Hey, all right. <laughs> um, but there was uh, Cal Worthington Ford Ooh. in um, Long Beach, California. It was right next to where my grandma's real estate office was, and his commercials, it was always him with an animal that wasn't a dog, and it would say, it's Cal Worthington and his dog Spot. If you want to buy a car, go see Cal. If you want a brand new car, go see Cal. It was but it wasn't that. a dog. It was never a dog. That's kind of far out. It'd be like a pony, and it'd be like, it's Cal Worthington and his dog Spot. It was always a different animal. I kind of love that. Go to YouTube, and you can probably find the old commercials like that. I remember those growing up. In recent years in Nashville. Isn't that kind of, that, that strikes me coming in fresh, fresh pair of ears here, fresh yeah, pair of eyes. Yeah. Pretty far out. Yeah. It wasn't a dog. He was probably pretty stoned. Okay. <laughs> no, and he was totally dressed like a, like a cowboy hat and a suit. Like, like I a kind bolo of appreciate tie. how out it is. It's kind of yeah. out, outside, I'm pretty right? sure Cal Worthington Ford is still there. And with his dog Spot. Probably with his it dog isn't spot. a dog. He could. He might not be around anymore. But I think the the name is still there. Did you guys ever have a Milo's? Are you familiar with Milo's? No, I'm not. It's a horrible, greasy burger place. Okay. Where their claim to fame is, you have the burger, and then they put like a little one fourth of another patty. Like a, they tear off a little chunk of burger and put it on there. Also, ooh. Now check out the jingle. Okay, here's the jingle for I'm Milo's. Ready. Everybody, 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 everybody goes to Milo's. <laughs> now, even as a kid, this fascinated me because the selling point wasn't it's good or it's affordable. Right. It was just everybody goes Everybody there. go. And you don't want to be the fucking guy not going when everybody, 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 everybody goes to Milo's. That's probably how Carly Jepsen got the song, I really, 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 really like you. <laughs> That's a real thing. She grew up in Alabama like me. It's a real thing. By the way, let's just listen to these commercials. Here's Cal Worthington and his dog Spot. If you're little short of cash, go see Cal. Trouble's over in a flash, go see Cal. If other dealers you have cussed, here's a dealer you can trust. All you have to do is just go see Cal. You know, everybody in town is advertising new 88 model cars and trucks. We're selling 89s, brand new 89s at the very same prices. Look at this. Everybody goes to Milo. Great food and great people. Well, somehow that just happened. You know the one in recent years that I know it's pretty national that I probably will never forget is... <laughs> you about to sing? No. Eight hundred five eight eight two three hundred Empire. I don't know today. That one. I don't know it. Empire is like carpet place. I don't. No. I haven't had cable in a long time. Okay. Well, but I've been to hotel rooms a lot, but I, I don't yeah. know that one. Yeah. Uh, Empire carpet. Okay. Yeah. Oh fuck it. Let's hear that one too. Eight hundred five eight eight two three hundred today <laughs> <laughs> wow okay i got another one i got another one dude 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 remember when we were eight okay <laughs> our next email comes from jeff kozak says hey guys just listen to the first half of the top 10 solos episode that was a while back 
He says, yeah. I just finished Ethan's top 10 and had to stop and write this. I, since the day of the Black Album came out, have always said that the solo for The Unforgiven is the best solo created. Hearing previous episodes and discovering how the solo was created makes a lot of sense. The passion, the feelings. The energy has always given me an emotional reaction every time I hear it. Clint's tear in the eye has happened many times in this solo for me and will last eternity in my book. Here's hoping that Clint has this as number one as well. Well, spoiler alert, I did. Yep. Ethan and I one. had a unanimous number one on that. He says, cheers, boys. Can't wait to burn down the next 50 episodes. Love you guys. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. So he's in like the, what, early 30s of episodes, I think. Um, I don't remember Are what we episode. going to do math right now? Is it math time? We'll math with is fun. If we're on 80, episode 84... And he's got 50 more. Yeah, 34 episodes. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Should we get a calculator out real quick? <laughs> okay. Jeff, thank you uh, for the email. That was awesome. Um, uh, Robert Maher says, Brothers. Ethan, uh, your song Stand Down, uh, is your song Stand Down available to patrons? I heard it during the last podcast and I really dig it. I'd like to include it in my listening rituals. Thank you. Um, no, it's not. Um I am not sure when I'm releasing the record exactly. Probably late September, early October. Okay. It all kind of depends on when the vinyl is going to be ready because I don't want to release them at separate times. I did that last time. I want it all to come out all as one big present for It's everybody. hard to sit on that, right? Because you're so proud of it. I want to put it out tomorrow. And, and i got to tell you, Robert, I, do, I am lucky enough to have the record, and it's fucking awesome. Yeah. I'm not trying to rub it in, but it, it is good to wait, make sure everything's in place. Yeah. I do believe, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Ethan, there is a Metal Up Your Podcast radio bonus episode that you might dedicate to the record. Yeah. In I'm, which case, you'll play you'll play excerpts and... Yeah, I was thinking about doing that for a radio episode, just like before it comes out, maybe fun. playing like a verse and a chorus of each song. That'd be fun. So everyone can kind of get a taste of it. Um, but uh, it, no, it, won't, it won't be a Patreon thing. This will be just an Ethan thing. And it'll be available on iTunes and Spotify. Yeah. Um, I have a Bandcamp page it'll be available on. Uh, I'll have vinyl you can order sometime in September, stuff like that. So look forward to it. And I'll say this, Robert. I mean, obviously, Robert's a patron, and uh, we can't say how much we love the patrons enough. Having said that, supporting Ethan's solo work separately, I think, is uh, philosophically, ideologically, and, yes, spiritually important. There you go. So I would encourage you to buy the record when it comes out. You heard it here first. <laughs> it from the AP from be Jared. <laughs> Cherish you go. Okay. David Barnes writes, What's up, brothers? I don't know. What's up, brothers? There we go. Hulkster Holster's here. Hey, Clint, it's been a while. What's going on, Holster? How Not you doing? Not much, man. Just ripping and gripping down in Florida. Let me ask you, speaking of ripping and gripping, do you just have a whole bunch of leotards like in stock or what? <laughs> or do you have a personal seamstress who fixes all these leotards you rip? <laughs> Let me tell you something, Clint. <laughs> that makes me laugh every time. Let me tell you something, Clint. I got a whole house down in Orlando, Florida, dedicated to all that stuff. All my tights are down there. Every room is a different color. But there's only two rooms, because you know what colors those are. Yellow and red. Okay, I got a black room, too, because when I was in NWO. I remember when you were in NWO. That was a really dicey time. Yeah, me and Kevin Nash. Sting. Sting. The Wolf... Wait, Sting was in the Wolf Pack. The Wolf Pack. Um, Diesel. Big, yeah, Diesel. Call Goldberg, 800 600 <laughs> All right. I like how quickly I went back in Ethan voice. <laughs> Dave Barnes, what's up, brothers? Your old friend Dees finally signed up to Patreon. Whoa. By the way, David, thank you. 
He says, I have so much to say to you all, so consider this an introductory email. I'm 40 and have been a Metallica fan for 30 years. Yeah, do the math. Uh, no thanks. Uh, yeah. yeah, so you started at 25? <laughs> Got it. He says, I started early. Since I came online before the Black Album, I consider myself pretty old school. I remember listening to the Black Album and thinking, that's it? What happened to Metallica? I gave Load and Reload many chances, but instead consolidated my faves into a mixed CD that I dub Loaded. Ooh. He says, but thanks to your show, I've come around to both of them. We won't discuss that which will not be named, which I <laughs> suppose he means... Kill them all. Yeah. <laughs> Ride the lightning. Yeah. Uh, probably He probably means uh, Hulk Hogan and the Wrestling Boot Band. So, I think that's coming up later, by the way. So, oh, he, really? to acquaint ourselves with David, he gives us a succinct, so bear with us, and I found this interesting, a succinct list of some of his favorites. His favorite album is Master of Puppets. His favorite song, which I found very fascinating, is The Thing That Should Not Be. Interesting. He says, I, I remember hearing this at my friend's house at 10 years old, and the song scared me. I'd love to hear it remastered with Bob Rock's Black Album work. His favorite solo is The Four Horsemen. Uh, his favorite bassist was Cliff. Favorite instrumental, Orion. Those two things make sense to me. Yeah. His favorite, favorite musical moment in Metallica. Two answers. Number one, the bridge breakdown in Master of Puppets, especially the guitar mini. For those of you who don't know, do da do do da do 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 da do do da do do da do 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 we didn't start the Halo on fire. Uh, he says it's closing in fast, though. He says his favorite takeaways slash revelations from Metal Up Your Podcast. Ooh, I'm intrigued. Are number one, my friend of misery was originally an instrumental. I had no idea. Wish they had left it that way. Completely changed how I listened to that song, and I really like it now. I, I'm glad they didn't leave it an instrumental. That's my personal opinion on that. If it was an instrumental on that record, it would have worked. It would have worked. worked totally. I mean, I think there's enough parts in the, uh, especially that whole bridge section is amazing. But I do love you pretend that the weight of the world. Yeah, misery. I love that. Yeah, the, I love the chorus. Um, okay, number two, that which shall not be named was a reactionary attempt to synthesize with the contemporary musical climate that helped my view on it and at least explains the attempt. Meaning. Our conversations about maybe it being same thing or being enmeshed in or nods to what was happening at the time, which was new metal. Paul Moak actually really blew my mind when he was like, it was basically them trying to do System of a Down. Yeah. A band they took on tour in 2000. Right. And got to see the power of that band every night. Yeah. The mistake is they're not System of a Down. They're Metallica. So and they should have reminded themselves that System of a Down was opening for them. They're still the mighty Metallica. Right. Like, let System of a Down be <clears throat> System of a Down. Yeah. Stop tuning the guitars down to C sharp. And Maybe at the, maybe post St. Anger, maybe they look back and thought, whatever, it happened, it's out there, We're not, can't, we can't change it. But did we need to do that? Like, if they would have done a Death Magnetic in 03. Ooh, God. I think that would have killed still. But you know, you know how you know how it goes in life. They couldn't yeah. have. Right. They couldn't have done Death Magnetic without St. Anger. But we, what if? But hey. What, hey what, 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 what if they'd ever stop being a thrash man? What if James Heflin made a country record? That would be awesome. Yeah. He's here right now in HQ1 recording upstairs. Wow. James? Paul? <laughs> Another takeaway <clears throat> that David lists, he says, Clint's unapologetic and undying commitment to load and reload is infectious, 
Both of your comments about these two albums have really reshaped my experience and attitude towards these records, especially how some songs sound like Alice in Chains and others like Guns N' Roses. And as an aside, he says, Clint, I was floored by how spot on the comparisons to 14 Years in Shotgun Blues were. He says, and Until It Sleeps has moved very high in my favorite song ranking, and yes, they're sonically stunning. My my spiritual work on this planet is done. It's done. When folks like Dave say, hey, you know what? I didn't get the records. Yeah. I heard you guys talk about them, and now I hear them differently and appreciate them. I, I, I did, uh, outside of the podcast, have done similar stuff in my spiritual work with Hardwired. Ooh. People that gave up on the band after... St. Anger, and then maybe didn't like the produ- ah, production of Death right. Magnetic. We're like, I'm done with Metallica. You can get them back on board with Hardwired. I've gotten people on board with Hardwired. I'm like, you have to listen to it. And when I describe it as a best of stylistically kind of record, like it, it kind of covers the whole spectrum of Metallica sounds. I've been learning how to play Hardwired. I've been posting it on Instagram. I, uh, I learned Hardwired. I learned Moth. Mm-hmm. And that's you know how much I love Hardwired. Even learning them has given me a new appreciation for those songs yeah. compositionally. And those riffs, too. It's like... They are, some of them are tough. So cool and challenging. Even like the main riff to Ma, that... It sounds kind of simple, but when you really get into the tactile, like playing it and then how Hetfield sings over that stuff... I know. It's insane. It's so impressive. I mean, yeah. It's such a great reminder of why they are above and beyond Mm -hmm. almost any band I can think of. Agreed. Uh, His last comment of his takeaway is he says, I want to be a Hulkamaniac. I'm speechless. I am without speech. It's been a while since we heard from that record. Let's check in all Hulkamaniac. Let me tell you something real quick, brother. I'm glad I'm here tonight because I'll be honored to play you. I want to be a Hulkamaniac. Well, thank you. Take it it away, Hulkster. Can I say something else? Of course. Do I have any Do I have an option? Look at those pythons. I don't, I don't think I'm in any position to decline. I actually don't have anything else to say. I just wanted to keep talking. Here's a clip. Well, there we go. I mean, it's it was nice to hear for, uh, from the Hulkster again. Always. David goes on to say, This email's probably too long already, but I can't say enough about how much I love the show and what you guys do here. I live in Memphis, and y'all probably have plenty of friends here, but let's grab a local brew when you come into town. Hope to see y'all set up the Little Rock show in January, or maybe I can fly the flag for y'all and maybe see you in Nashville that following Thursday and hopefully the second annual Metal Up Your Podcast party, which is happening. Yep. It is happening the night before. What, what's the, what's the Nashville show? January. It's January. I can't remember the day off the top of my head. The night before that will be just a Metallica night party pre-show plus our second annual, yep. the second anniversary of Metal Beer Podcast. Yeah, exactly. Many and, and people are flying in. Ninety-nine percent sure it'll be at the Cobra. Once it gets, right. once it gets closer, we'll we'll set it all up. But, but a lot of people are coming from all over to come. Oh, to yeah. that, come to that party and go to the Nashville show. If with the us. good people at the Cobra think that the last one was a hit and a success and packed, I think this next one's gonna. It's gonna be pretty wild. Yeah. He ends his email by saying, "Please tell Torben and Dave and Stan hello for me. Shout out to Paul, Paul, and Paul, Paul." He says, "Your old friend D's P.S. Church giggles 
are the best. Aren't they? I agree. Well, uh, I think there's a few people here that want to say hi back to him. Oh, here we go. Uh, hello. Um, I just wanted to say hello. Hello, David. In my misfits way of life, I'm a douchebag. <laughs> well, and I tickled to death to hear that you listen to it. It's a great thing. And, uh, well, I'm just a plum tickled to have you listen to the podcast. And, uh, well, we'll see you on the flip-flop. Ah, oh, thanks, Papa. Always right. good to hear from you. All right, next email is from Rakish. Guys, was a little behind the past two weeks, but really enjoyed the latest episodes. I love when Ethan would pick up his guitar and play some riffs. To me, I think he was talking about my radio episode. Yeah. I was playing on my nylon string. I did like that, too. I mean, I think he's going to echo it here, but you kind of explained some of the similarities in the keys between one and fade to black. Right, yeah. I also found that interesting yeah. and cool. And I'm your friend, and I already They're know how to play Yeah, all in the same position, pretty much. Um to me, aside from your obvious chemistry and love for Metallica, your musical insights are what set you apart. Those elements, either through full-blown episodes like the gear, uh, love it as a guitarist myself, um, or, uh, or interspersed, are so fun to hear. By the way, I'm listening to Beyond, Man- Beyond Magnetic now, and it doesn't have any of the brick walling of, of Death Magnetic. Uh, this is some truly great stuff there. Uh, Metal Lawyer 2... Metal Lawyer 2? Queen City Lawyer? Well, he's also... Rakesh is <gasps> like also a, a, a uh, lawyer. Really? So he, you know, remember we did the we pitted him against our friend Nick Roller. That's right. I almost forgot friendly, about that. And a friendly lawyer off. Yeah, man, who doesn't love a good lawyer off? You know, next to watching the Hulkster on WCW, I love to see two lawyers just litigate each other to the fucking bitter end. Oh man. No, but in the ca- in the case of Hulkster versus Mustaine, <laughs> a precedent was clearly set. Uh, the the we have a whole episode on Beyond Magnetic that I recommend checking out. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, I love Beyond Magnetic. Dude, it's fun. I was listening to Hello, it's Tom. Well, hello yet yet again another episode. Hello, hello, song hello and hello and goodbye and hello again. Uh, but they did. Um, he recently did uh, an episode on Hell and Back, which is my favorite song on yeah. Beyond Magnetic. And they kind of they kind of ripped it a little bit, but it, it, I was actually in the shower listening to it, naked. Oh, we've had a few. I don't of those, know why uh, that's so visceral to me, but I was naked, and I was thinking. Didn't Brad Blazik? Yeah, was he? He he listens to us in the shower, yeah. and I imagine him shitting and sobbing <laughs> at the same L- time. It's loose stool. Um, but man, I really do love Beyond Magnetic. Yeah, I, of course, I, I love that record. It doesn't have the same problems that Death Magnetic has in terms of brick walling, but it has the same. Dry vocal, yeah, it totally not does. great sounding drums. I mean, it's, st- it's still in the same sessions. I, I'd imagine what they probably did was like before they mix, they're like, "All right, here's the songs we're going to put on the record. Mix those, and then later they're like, hey, 'Hey, let's mix these other four.' By the way, and so maybe they learn from the mistake. I'm pretty sure you know? they put out a statement saying these are unmixed, unmastered, like they were untouched from the floor. I would think at very least they're unmastered, maybe yeah. not unmixed. I thought, I yeah, know. true. I can't remember. Go, you know what? We should go listen to our own episode because I'm sure we, <laughs> we probably talked heavily it. researched it. It's hard to keep all the Metallic facts inside the brain, inside the, hard, the noggin. The, the, the hard drive up there is only so big. It, true. Mine's and like 20 only, megabytes or something. Dude, that's, that's a lot to me. In 1992, it's a lot. Well, folks, it's that easy. We have an email address, show at gmail.com. Even if we can't read them on the show, those of you who write in know that we respond to almost every email. We love reading your thoughts. Oh, yeah. We love hearing from the Metal Up Podcast community. Always. Send us the email. Hop on the iTunes. Hop on the Patreon. And with that, let's get the fuck out of the email I'm corner. I'm so ready.
Hey, this is Ethan and Clint from Metal Up Your Podcast, and we want to talk to you about something we love called Patreon. That's right. Patreon is a way for fans of the show to give back to the show, to donate money that uh, helps us in quality and content. And not only that, but we've actually come up with all sorts of fun incentives to give back to you for supporting the show. Exactly. For instance, if you donate $5 or more, you get access to Cover Our World Blackened, which is the official Metal Up Your Podcast Metallica cover EP. That's right, and that's the only way to get it. In addition to the EP, we also give you priority email access, meaning we'll read your email first on the show. We give you early access to Patreon-exclusive merchandise, Patreon-exclusive giveaways, and any other side projects that Ethan and I might be involved in. There's all sorts of things you can look at on there and you can donate to. Go check it out, patreon.com slash Podcast. How do you spell that, Clint? P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Podcast. And if you really think about it, $5 a month for an entire year, that's really just like a cup of coffee a month so go check it out thanks everyone peace adios all right Kirk Hammond's guitars let's do it let's, I had a lot of fun going through these let's let's dive in this deep end of, of the of the Hammett pool it is a deep pool yeah because and, and much deeper than we're going to cover obviously we mentioned that earlier that, that I mean Kirk is a collector he's yes. got a shitload of guitars we're going to be covering was it like 20 25 yeah it's around um, around that yeah of his most well-known guitars the ones you've seen before on tv on, at live shows in videos things like that yeah i mean we have a few of his collect- i mean obviously the greenie the peter green guitar we're going to talk about his peter green right. les paul that's one of the most famous guitars in the world um but we'll mostly be talking about what we've come to see and know from kill em all all the way through hardwired yeah our favorite kirk kirk guitars um I imagine your average diehard, like me or you, could have named 10 or 15 of these. Sure. Um, and we're going to go through these in excruciating detail. Yeah. So, thankfully, a lot of listeners wrote in uh, about the last one and said even though they didn't play, they enjoyed the info. So, let's well, yeah, go it's, the- it's, it's extra info for those Metallica fans that aren't musicians. Sure. Because maybe it's something that you don't really understand or... Obviously, when we start talking about like, you know... Fred and fretboard inlays and pickups and this and that you might not really know what that right. is. However, but don't worry, we won't be hanging. Yeah, we're you're still getting Metallica knowledge here. You are going to go on a journey with two of the best tour guides I can think of. And to your left is Kirk Hammett's Flying V. And to your left, you'll see the skull and crossbones inlay. And straight up ahead, what is that, folks? Oh, that's Ooh. the Ouija board guitar. Yeah, and just past that, the Dracula guitar and the White Zombie. Okay. So that was episode 85. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go all the way back to the beginning. So much like James's, which James had the SG before, but James's most notable guitar was the Electra Flying V. Right, yeah. These motherfuckers loved Michael Schenker. They really they did. They loved Flying Vs. They loved Das Scorpions. <laughs> das Scorpions is tall. <laughs> <laughs> das Scorpions house in his tall house in Schausen. <laughs> Kirk's first guitar uh, that he bought in 1979 is a 1974 Gibson Flying V, black. He bought it for $450. Awesome. It was his main guitar in Exodus and on the first four Metallica albums and all the accompanying tours. So many of the photos that we see of the old hamster, Nader, Hausen. Hosen. Are him... <laughs> Schausen. Hausen. <laughs> Steinen. <laughs> <laughs> hey, dude, I was just in Germany. Sorry, yeah. I picked up some of the lingo. Yeah, I figured. I could tell, yeah. <laughs> you figured Hausen? <laughs> uh, I figured Hausen, of course, little Wissen. <laughs> Steinen. Steinen. I wish right now I could run across the street and grab my 82-year-old German neighbor. Oh. She straight up sounds like she just got here yesterday. She's been here since, like... She was here in she the would, 60s. She's she been here since the 60s. And she she's would st- love nothing more than to hear that. Yeah. Hey, Br- Fraulein. Bridget. Is Br- Bridget. <laughs> Fraulein Bridgethausen. Bridgethausen, can you come over to my house real quick? <laughs> and, uh, no, I, you know, 
yeah, it would be amazing. Would you accompany me to the Jürgen Lincoln Club? We want to see if what we're saying is actually German. By the way, we Bridget, will you translate this for us? Uh, welcome to Melody Podcasting. Uh, <laughs> By the way, we literally have thousands and thousands of German listeners. Right now, we're just rolling their eyes and so. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if we offended thousands of you. No, listen. I've done this for years. I, I, the first time I ever went to Germany was probably in, actually, in the year 2000. Um, and for years, I've had this joke to make something sound more German, you add Hausen or you add um, Stein. Mm-hmm. Steinen. Um, Straussen. Uh, or you add Insen. So, like, Clintonson. <laughs> Do you like my Gitarsenson? It's still, it's still funny. Gitarhaus. Gitarsenhausen. <laughs> When we uh, when we were just over there, we got we had a bus over there, and our our uh, our driver's name was Rico, real cool cat. But I would just go sit down there with him, and I would do this whole housing bullshit. Was he German? Oh yeah, yeah, Lo- local. Just he drives buses in Germany. Oh, you know he who he drives regularly on the Regenhausen. Please tell on the Regenhausen. Please tell me ha- Hasselhoffensen. Baroness. Baroness, really? Yeah. Nice. Baroness is like his his most common whatever client. We were on Baroness's bus, dude. Awesome. Which Baroness has a really bitchin' chick guitar player now. Yeah, that's rad. Guitar player housing. Any, anyway, <laughs> anyway, back to, anyway, back to Kirk's first flying V. So, 450 bucks. It was a main guitar in Exodus, first four Metallica records in the tours. He used it on the Fade to Black solo on the neck pickup. Yeah. The reason I found that interesting is, for those of you who don't know, when you see the two, usually you see two pickups in hard rock music guitars. They're two humbuckers, which we talked about humbuckers last time. Yeah. And the neck pickup tends to be a darker, muddier rhythm sound. Yeah. It's, some people even call it the rhythm pickup. Whereas well, it's th- common on Gibsons on, uh, on the toggle switch, which, which is how you switch back and forth between each pickup. Mm-hmm. It'll say rhythm, rhythm and, lead. and lead. Yeah. And which that's super old school. I mean, that's like jazz. That's like, you know, let's pause for like jazz guitars. Oh, yeah. And, and, and arch they, tops. They st- Gibson still does that. Um, and they call it the neck pickup because it's the pickup closest to the neck or the rhythm pickup. They're muddier. They're used for rhythm. The bridge pickup, which is closest to the bridge, uh, is brighter. It's Bridgenhausen. Bridgenhausen. So, it's interesting that Kirk recorded the Faded Black solo in the neck position. Yeah. Which is typically not a lead position. Uh, another common, uh, I, w- or I would say a pretty well-known example of somebody who's, uh, most of their leads are in the neck position is Slash. Mm, that's, if I didn't you know notice that. that a lot, like I didn't know that a lot of his stuff is like that. That's kind of that slash sound mm. is the neck position on Gibson Les Paul. Fascinating, isn't it? Not everything <laughs> is you? though. Like when he goes to, like the Wah stuff, like the, on the, yeah, the, on the Civil key War changes, yeah. Sweet, Sweet Child of Mine, Sweet or Child, yeah, yeah. Then it is, but a lot of that stuff is neck neck position. Okay, so he doesn't take this on the road anymore. He's claimed that it was just so weathered and beat up from the obviously years of touring clubs and then obviously through puppets and justice into arenas. And it's now such a valuable, cool guitar. He keeps it off the road. They Gibson, in 2012, though, did reissue a prototype, an exact prototype, including all the Wear and stuff tear. that was fucked up about yeah. it. Uh, they only made 150, 50 of them signed by Kirk himself. And awesome. you can see Kirk, Kirk, obviously, they gave him the proto, the number one of the right. proto, serial number 001, and you can actually see him playing that guitar in the Freeze em All gig, which we covered a few weeks ago, yeah. or whatever, two months ago. That's How awesome. long ago was that show? That was like a year ago. Okay, good. Yeah. Now, moving on, there's a, these, these two are, are fascinating to me. Actually, the next three are fascinating. So in 83, he got the Fernandez V, the RFV 75, which is of... It's another flying V. 
Yeah. But it's made by a, a cheaper company yeah, called cheaper Fernandez. Company. Fernandez made some cool stuff, though. I agree. Yeah. I, I think they are an under um, underappreciated guitar company. They did a lot of... Um, what a lot of a lot of times people call lawsuit kind of stuff, which meaning that you're basically it's basically a rip off of the body right. of a, of a yeah, more yeah. They made popular. tellies, they made strats, right. they, stuff like that. You know, I've got a, a a bass up in my little storage closet upstairs. That's a, a company called Gaitone, which is a Japanese company. I know Gaitone. They made pedals. Yep. In the seventies, they were making. They're basically ripping off other companies. I have one that looks just like a Moss Ride. Mm. And so a lot of people will call those like lawsuit era guitars. I, what was the most notable one? I can't remember. There was some huge lawsuit in the 70s. I think it was a Les Paul. Was it Les Paul for Gibson? Yeah. Um, yeah, somebody was basically like making the the Gibson Les Paul. So basically, uh, the two most popular guitars that one will think of in their mind's eye when they think of a guitar, right, are a Les Paul and a Stratocaster. Yeah. Stratocaster has two horns, uh, most famously played by Eric Clapton, or David Gilmour, Stevie or, Ray Vaughan, or Stevie Ray Vaughan, or Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, Les Paul has the one horn made by Gibson, most commonly thought of Slash. S- Slash would be my first person I think of. For uh, sure, right? Jimmy Page. Jimmy Page. Those two. Yeah. Right. Um, and those companies have patents on those designs. Yeah. Chad Kroger. <laughs> Look at this. <laughs> Look at this, Les Paulson. <laughs> I love that song. Photograph so much, dude. Def Leppard? No. That's a good song. That's no. a good song called Photograph too. Nickel Beckenhausen. I know you cried to it. I've privately cried to it more than one time. And publicly admitted it. Uh, you know what's you know what's weird? I haven't cried to it, even though I've listened to it, since I admitted that on the show. Like <laughs> it broke some spell for me. I think it just dried dried up your tear ducts. And I and I regret saying it because I regret the emotional <laughs> You wanna you, you you hope to cry when you listen to it and you <laughs> can't anymore. <laughs> No more tears. No more Ozzy Osbourne. I regret. I miss the emotional release I used to get from that song. All right. um, So anyway, he had a 1983 Fernandez V, RF V75, black and white pickguard. Now, what you'll notice about this guitar, there isn't a neck and bridge pickup. There's just the bridge pickup. The more harsh, shrill one. And So it's really only like one sound. You have a tone knob, which a tone knob kind of controls bass response in a pickup. This was probably perfect for him in 1983. It's like... Because that's the kill them all totally. tone. It's just like absolutely harsh, shrill, just blistering sound. You can actually see it in the uh, Cliff Amal video during No Remorse, which is obviously the title track off Saint Anger. Yeah, no, perfect for Kill 'Em All for sure, and a less valuable guitar. So maybe like a, a beater. In fact, I think I'm not positive. So Jesus Christ, don't crucify me for this. I think in that great video of them playing the Metro in Chicago, where Kirk mistakenly puts his guitar in the crowd and they he's take right taking it. it that was his gibson and the one he's the backup he's playing is this fernandez yeah can you imagine <laughs> that Gib- we've talked about this if, if someone if they actually got away with it and like took that fucker it's amazing that it wasn't fucking smashed smithereens in that that's crowd. probably in his house in hawaii like in a glass case on the wall now or it should be or, or it's probably just at, at hq hang on the wall I, I i i unfortunately haven't been to the uh memory remains museum it might be in that museum Ooh, that'd be rad um, all right, so moving on. Also in nineteen eighty three, a couple more Fernandez guitars here, which I, I find interesting. We don't we don't see this brand of guitar repeated anymore in this, but also in eighty three we have the black Fernandez Stratocaster, which I would say I'm I'm saying this in air quotes, another lawsuit guitar. Yeah. It looks exactly like a Fender Stratocaster. Yeah. Uh those of you old school trues might recognize it. It was nicknamed Edna. Uh it had uh I liked this note because it made me think of my young days. It had three 
Fender lace sensor pickups. Oh yeah, which I had my I had a black Strat. Uh, white pit guard outfitted with lace sensors because that's what David Gilmore used yep. and that's what Eric Clapton used. And I, I, They're kind of out of fashion now. Yeah, they no one are, has yeah. lace sensors anymore. No, no, no. I had, I had a set of Fender lace sensors that my dad took out of his like nice USA Fender Stratocaster and we took it to my, my dad's guitar guy in Orange County and put him in, put in my Squire 2 Strat. Cool. And there were white pickups at a black Strat. But see, and, they had... There were different color ones that were hotter. Like, I had a blue lace sensor in the neck, a red lace sensor in the bridge. I can't remember what was in the middle. I don't think I remember them making different colors. But I like just had Eric, white ones. But Eric Clapton's Blackie, which was his black strap, yeah. had three gold lace sensors. Oh, uh, okay. So they, they really, in the 90, late 90s and early aughts, they really... But they were still, they were still passive pickups. They're still passive. They're yeah. just hotter, though. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wish I still had that little Squire Strat. Yeah, that'd be fun to still have. I, I I literally have no memory of what happened. To I was it. just thinking of that. I think we talked about this with our friend Brad Lyons when we did the uh, yeah. the James episode. But some of my first guitars, not not the notable ones, like not the ones my grandfather gave me. Sure, yeah. But some of my first, like, dude, my first Strat, white white cream Strat, white pit guard, mail ordered from AMS magazine. Nice mail order. Yeah, sent a money order. Send a money order to get a guitar. $338 or whatever it was. Yeah. I remember the guitar. I remember all my memories. I remember learning Sherb Rock on it by the yeah. Pumpkins. I have no clue what happened. If Did I sell it? Did I give it to a friend? Yeah, no idea. Like, it's just lost to time. My very first guitar, I think I mentioned before, was, was a company called Memphis. Really shitty, shitty brand. But you broke the, you broke it broke the headstock, cried. Um, but what was your, like everyone remembers the first time they masturbated because yeah. it was probably injected with so much puritanical guilt and horror. You could hardly you could hardly remember the second time. No, even though it was a habit that you developed for the rest of your life, no one can remember the second time. What was your second guitar and what happened to it? Second guitar was a plastic back ovation. Acoustic. No, no, your second electric guitar. Second electric guitar um, was the Squire Two Strat. And and you and no memory, no memory of that of one. I remember what happened to the first one. I, I sold it to uh, my neighborhood metal friend named Mike Clippert. 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 How you spell it? K l i p p e r t. I think. Okay, that that's a correct. That sounds correct. Um, uh, you know what my initial thought was? C l i p p a r t. Right, Clippart. Like clip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Clippert was one of the first people that I met when I moved to Orange County. My neighbor that went to my school. It was like a metal kid. And like I go to his house like on Saturday night and spend the night and we'd stay up late and like eat popcorn and watch Headbangers Ball. Oh my God. Dude, I have some of my like fondest. Like when Ricky Ackman still had long hair. Agree. Like I, uh, some of my most fond memories are so similar. Even pre guitar, staying up late, watching fucking Alternative Nation and Headbangers Ball. Oh, Alternative Nation was great. Loved it. Waiting for the plush video. I used to wait for plush by Stingle Pilots to come on in real time. I would just wait for it. Yeah. It was so ubiquitous in the summer of 92 or whatever, 93. Yeah. And you could really just sort of wait around for it. Or like Runaway Train by Soul Asylum. Oh, yeah. Great you just song. wait for it. Yep. Oh, same thing with the radio. I used to listen to Pirate Radio 100.3 FM yeah. in, in Southern California. You'd wait for Pearl Jam or I'd Nirvana. wait for whatever song. Or Inner Sandman or whatever. I would wait with my two fingers on the record and play button on my cassette same, deck same. and the second they're like all right we got the new one from skit or whoever metallica hit that shit so fast I, that's how i originally made a mixtape i can take i can take it up a, a whole notch from that do it my boom box and it was a boom box it said boom box on it not quite a ghetto so, blaster so, so you know it's the real thing but it said boom box so you know it's the real had a 
it had some like weird input where you could put I had like a microphone that had a quarter inch yes. input. Yeah. So I'd wait there, hands on the play and record button, blank blank Maxwell cassette tape, and a song come on and I would sing with it. And record it. And record myself singing before I knew how to sing atonally. And I remember the the my biggest memory of that is Cumbersome by Seven Mary Three. <laughs> I have become cumbersome God, to a, my girl. What a this terrible song. Sort of post-Pearl Jam. Uh, there was wa- a lot of that. Watered down Alice in Chains, Days of the New Days of the New, yes. yeah. Fucking hell. Oof. Those were just for me. If I was making a mixtape, yeah, the microphone's out. Yeah. But yeah, and you would in your mixtape, you would hear the, the DJ either at the end oh, or yeah. the beginning... And there are some other song you didn't like would come on, like crossfade into it. And you're like, no, no, no. I don't want that song. I know. And that was Bulls on Parade. Stop it. Yeah. Well, Bulls, on, Bulls on Parade is fucking awesome. No, no. I mean, oh, dude. Oh, when Evil mean, Empire came out, oh, my yeah. seventh grade yearbook picture is me wearing an Evil Empire t-shirt, and I look like the boy on the cover. I'm just saying, when when the DJ comes on over the gagu, oh, ga- gagu, well, that was Bull. And you're like, shut the Wasn't fuck the, up. The, the worst was... When they when they be introing a song, it starts playing, and they talk until the first well, verse starts. I, I know. Well, uh, anyway, this Sunday we're giving tickets out to the Jim Blossoms concert. You're like, Shut up! God damn it! You I fucking the demon! Riff, you. you fucking demon! Ugh. Anyway, this guitar also is notable because in magazines and shit, Kirk had written "Hamster Caster" with a sharpie on the headstock. And there's the famous picture of Kirk at the Metalla Mansion sitting on the toilet. Yeah. That's this Fernandez yeah. Edna lawsuit Stratocaster. Yep. Have I properly contextualized it for all the trues out I there? I think we've figured it out. I think everyone knows. Mathematically speaking, I think we've all come to the same conclusion. Now, the only reason I put this other guitar in the list is because I remember when we did uh, Live Shit Seattle, which wasn't that long ago also, maybe a year ago, maybe two years ago. I think three years maybe ago. Maybe 17 years ago. Yeah. We talked about this red Stratocaster, quote unquote, and I, I was, I particularly remember being mystified by it. It's this, it's another Fernandez Strat '84 black pickguard that he played on the thing that should not be yeah. on live shit Seattle. And there's also, have you seen this picture of James and Kirk? They're at Kirk's house in bed together, laying on a mattress on the floor with all their guitars on them, and they're both smoking cigarettes. Yeah, it's weird. You can see this guitar in that picture. It's just weird because neither Kirk nor James smoke. I mean, I think back in the day they probably did. You'll never... Uh, you dude, rarely see a photo. I have never seen another photo of either of them smoking. You rarely ever I've seen, seen I've seen James and Kirk smoke cigars right. in the load era. Right, of course. But I've never seen them smoke cigarettes. And it's a weird picture because they're both at Kirk's mom's house. Like, during the, the lightning tour or something. Yeah. In 84. Smoking... Smoking. In the house, in Kirk's bed. On a mattress. With all their guitars on the mattress. Yeah. So anyway, that's why I wanted to bring that up. Now, we move on to 85, a guitar that is f- familiar to me. Mm-hmm. The 85 Randy Rose Jackson RR1T, which is the black Jackson that he plays almost exclusively on Sabbath True. Yeah. And then he would go on to play Memory Remains with it. Love that guitar. According to the notes I looked up today, he recorded much of Puppets on that. So that means that Master Puppets... Was largely recorded on Jackson on Jackson's, guitars because Hetfield did too. That King V, yeah, the Kill Bon Jovi guitar, yeah, that's insane. I, I've always had a personal aversion to Jackson. I've never, I don't like the name. It sounds rednecky to me. And <laughs> like, I, I come. From you want to play a Jackson guitar? Well, we come home, Dad. Oh, here we go, Paw Paw. Well, I don't. 
Well, I never got too involved with the guitar, see, but uh, I, did, I had that problem with my dexterity, but uh, I did have one guitar. That, well, I had two guitars, Ethan, that I uh, had the Hartley PV uh, oh, okay. in America down to Mississippi, where I lived, near where I lived. That's uh, right, yeah. But also, I had the Jackson King V. Had a very pointy headstock, and it had two horns, one horn less shorter than the other one. That's a great description. Love that. I like Randy. When I see Randy Rhodes playing in Jackson, no problemo. But he's, I mean, he, he gets a pass. Dare I say Dave Mustaine? I know we, no. we, we kind of dog on him, but he, no. he kind of, him and Marty Freeman kind of made. Marty Freeman, I'll, I'll grant you. What, what, that, what, what was the one, that, like the Marty Freeman, like Kelly, Kelly series? It was kind of like an explorer shape, but more curvy. You know what I'm talking about? Well, and Kerry King, I think, had a Jackson deal too for a while. Yeah. Those are okay. Dave Elson has not really played hardly anything but Jackson basses who? forever. Dave, Dave Elson? Dave Elson. Peavy. No, Jackson basses. Peavy. Jackson. Look it up. His main. He's a PV deal. That, he plays that mir- that mirror pick guard, right? But no, but his that's a PV. His the longest running bass he's ever played is like that silver sparkle one. It's a Gibson five string, dude. Follow, do you follow him on Instagram, Dave? No, Dave Elfson. The last like month, he's been posting photos of, like old basses he used to have. Did, he like has that. a signature PV that's like a mirror. I know pick he does. Yeah. Oh, okay, because okay. he worked for PV. He was my rep when I had a yeah. PV deal. That's when I met him. He yeah. was doing a PV. Um, clinic. He mostly play, has played over the years. Has played uh, okay. Jacksons. I I I uh, take it back. Apologize. You would know. You're the Megadeth <laughs> fan. I like Dave Mustaine's Dean guitars. Yeah, those are cool. Again, Dean, another guitar company I would never even dream of, but yet my my beloved, my favorite guitar player of all fucking time, Dimebag Daryl, played Dean. Yeah, and I like Dave Mustaine's Dean guitars. Would you Would you get one of those Dean like dime bag looking ones? I've, I've tried to. I've begged my wife to let me get the camo one. The camo one's bitching. I mean, my wife is super cool, dude. You've met my wife. My wife's cool, dude. She's a super cool dude. But she, when I, it was one of the shortest conversations we've ever had. <laughs> when I was like, <laughs> "Can I buy a dime bag, Daryl, seven hundred dollar camo Dean pointy Explorer ripoff?" She was just like. Why? Well, she was like, look, buy a guitar, but buy one you're going to use for your job. You would so use that with well, Rodney Atkins. I, I will I will buy and I will play a snake bite with Rodney Atkins. Oh, I've already told so RMD, our musical director, Kevin, a good friend of mine, our drummer. I've already told him I'm buying a snake bite when I find the right deal and I'm playing it on at least two of our songs in our set. Yeah, you have to. Well, I, I have to. I'm yeah. wearing Metallica shoes right now. I played a Gibson Explorer in my ska band. You can play. I could see it being good for that, though. It was great. I loved it. Two humbuckers. It's it's cool. Still one of my biggest re- regret sales. Hate that I sold that thing. All right, moving on here. Well, actually, I don't want to move on. What do you think about Jackson guitars? I've kind of staked my claim here. What I, do you think? I've never, never owned one. I've never owned a Jackson guitar. When I was in junior high and really getting into metal, I had a couple of friends in Orange County that like were like kind of like little rich kids, mm-hmm. not like assholes or anything but they just were you know came from money yeah and i had this one friend named jeremy and he had like a carvin full stack and i remember carvin i didn't care what steve brand i played a carvin legacy yeah i didn't give a shit what the brand was it was a full stack and i was like that's gigantic it, it, to, to me to a kid that's like it's like seeing kiss that's yeah, when, larger yeah. than life when you're first getting into metal and you're playing and you're actually playing an instrument the bigger the setup it's got to be better, right? The more rack toms, yeah. the bigger pedal but board, whatever it is. He had a he had a Randy Rhodes King V. Cool. Um, he had the Kelly series one I'm talking about that Marty Freeman played. Um, 
I love Marty Freeman. I know, but but at that time I was like, fucking get. I want to keep some trying to Gibson. I want a Jackson so bad. You did. I did want one, but, but they, they were they, they so expensive. expensive. They, they were so expensive. They, they are nicer guitars. Oh, let's yeah, say that. Most of, I think all, almost all of them are neck through body. Well, and they don't really make a cheap version. Like ESP has uh, no. They did Charvel. Oh, Char- but but it said Charvel. Yeah, but that that was like their Epiphone or their Squire. Uh, okay. They did Charvel I, guitars. I thought Fender owned Charvel. They may have at one point, but I I know Jackson. Fender owned them. Jackson though. I don't know. It's all gotten so fucked up. Yeah, well, I know that Gibson Gibson's is going bankrupt. Tanking, I know. You know what? Good. They've they've really fucked up. They've made shitty guitars no, for a long they've time. They've really fucked Overpriced. up. Overpriced. For those of you who may have heard Gibson, which is one of the two biggest guitar companies of all time, along with Fender, ha- are, are are doing really they poorly. They already filed bankruptcy. Now here's the deal. But just released a Billy Joe signature Les Paul Jr. Oh, cool. Which it, it looks rad, but awesome. like no one's gonna buy it. Oh, the plenty of kids will buy that. I it's I think it's it, it's it's like a cheaper Green Day fans are not kids anymore. But they've got guitar a lo- music, but guitar music is kind of out. Yeah, but they got I, a I think lot of fans. Come, yeah, I mean, Green dude. If it's affordable, I'm pretty sure it's like under a thousand bucks. Okay, like, well that's interesting. I'm pretty sure I don't think it's like a two thousand dollar guitar. I worked in two guitar stores uh, for about five or six years combined, and. The weird thing about Gibson is the prices keep getting higher and higher. You can't buy a standard Gibson for less than $2,200 now. Right. And, like, I feel like when you pick up a $2,500 or a $3,000 guitar, they better all be fucking awesome. You better, uh, yeah, you better know that that's, but, like... But, but you, you'll pick them up and they'll be dogs. Oh, yeah. Like, invariably, you'll pick up a dog. Mm-hmm. And it'll still be three grand. Yeah. You know, it's it's I unacceptable. Mean, dude, I Their had, artist relations are so shitty. Yep. Unless your name name is Slash, they probably don't give a shit about you or Billy Joe, right? But but you know you have to be a famous musician to have like an actual deal with Gibson. It is so hard for a normal working guitar yeah. player to buy and maintain Gibsons. I'm lucky to have a few. Do you have a, do you have any Gibsons? I only have one Gibson. What's this now. Les Paul? Is that it? Yeah, that Les, Les Paul, Paul Firebrand. At one point, I had three Les Pauls. I got rid of two of them, but and I had an Explorer at one point. Now, speaking of Les Pauls, we've taken a little bit of a detour here. Um, Still talking about guitars, whatever. Randy Rhodes, though, which he did have that Jackson King V. Yeah. All right. He was a Gibson dude, too. But when I think of him, in my mind's eye, I see the polka dot Les Paul, yep. and I see him playing fucking crazy train. Polka dot flying V, too. And a polka dot Gibson V. That V, the, the cover of the, the, the Aussie uh, live record, where he's got Randy like up on his shoulder, yeah. and he's playing a solo. He's playing the polka dot V. Damn it! Yeah, totally. His polka dot thing was a cool. He kind of landed on a cool. That's kind of his there. deal. Yeah. yeah, which ordinarily in polka dots, fuck you. Unless your Ro- name's Randy Rose or Buddy Guy. Okay. Um, moving on. Now this is where we get to. We start to see uh, Kirk's personality. Yeah. Now what I'm talking about here is the '86 ESP. Now this is his first ESP, and this would go on to set a precedent for. Probably every guitar, other than some collectible Gibsons that we're going to talk about for the next 45 minutes, which is the MM270 Zorlac. Now, it's called the Zorlac. I'm jumping ahead a little bit because he ended up putting a Pusshead. Zorlac was a skateboard company Mm -hmm. that Pusshead designed the logo for. Right. And Kirk ended up putting that sticker below the bridge. That's why it was called the Zorlac. But this was his first ESP. He sought them out because he wanted a cool new guitar for the Monsters of Rock tour in 86. Because he knew they'd be playing in front of, I don't know, 17 million kajillion ladies. And Bon Jovi. Uh, 
And this was kind of the starting line for what became the KH2. Now, the KH2, why it's not called the KH1, is a mild mystery. It gets solved a little bit later. Yeah. But in the timeline, the KH2. Now, when we talk about the white zombie, the mummy, Dracula, the hula ghouls, these are the Ouija. Yeah. All right. These are all KH2s. Yeah. It's pickups, neck, bolt, uh, neck through, yeah. Floyd Rose, with different graphics. So this is the first kind of KH2. Yeah. What's cool about this, though, is that the skull and crossbones, which are his signature inlay, yeah. meaning the fretboard, the skull and crossbones uh, were vertical instead of horizontal. And he, instead of the upside-down ESP headstock, he had an upside-down Jackson-style headstock. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Jackson basically said, we're going to sue you motherfuckers. Jeez. So they couldn't do that. But but he still has this you know Zorlite guitar. Probably, you know, probably pointed out. It's probably Mustang going, you see Kirk's new guitar? I ha- I honestly hadn't thought of it because I try not to think about him. <laughs> he probably did. <laughs> he was behind it. He probably hey, Mr. Did. Jackson? I'm sorry, Mr. Jackson. I'm being for real. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody? Okay. Yeah, dude. Outcast? I was just listening to Outcast yesterday. Hey, Mr. Jackson, it's me. Marvin Barry, your cousin. <laughs> I'm gonna be for real. You know that new sound you're looking for? Well, listen to this. Ride right. the lightning solo. Look at Kirk's new guitar. You should sue him. So, uh, so he still has it though. Uh, they changed the headstock to a typical MM290 style, but flipped it upside down. Nicknamed the Zorlac for obvious reasons. And this is where he first does the EMG 8160 pickups, which yeah. is what they both kind of got on board with these EMG active pickups, which we talked about active versus passive, right? At the same time, and you know, that's kind of the sound of Metallica. Yeah. F- kind of 86, 87 ish on. Puppets onward. You know? Yeah, agreed. Uh, they would also go on to do, in 2010, they did a Snow White cage too. And what I found interesting is from fret 17 to 24, they're scalloped. Now, do you want to talk about what Ing- that means? Ingve. Ingve would be the uh, most famous guitar player yeah, known for scalloped fretboards. Yeah, he board. scallops in his entire fretboard. Yeah. It's almost like uh, if the wood in between each fret is concave, much like a skateboard. You know, that kind of has that dip in it. There's a dip in every in between every fret. Yeah. Now, what that what that does for a guitar player, it it kind of gives you ease of playing really fast. Um, Does Ingve play fast? Ingve, I heard plays fast. I'm not really sure. Anyways, <laughs> no, he doesn't do doom metal. He does like. Come to this guitar clinic at Guitar Center and check this out. I'm just kidding, by the way. Um, he does doom metal, actually. Uh, <laughs> no, but so the purpose of a scallop fretboard is is so that people can basically play a, a lot faster, but a lot lighter. Because if you're a hard hard hitting player and you're trying to play really fast, and that can wear you out pretty quick. So a scallop fretboard, you can play more delicately, but it still sounds like you're playing harder and with a little more ease. And Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Ingve kind of invented that. I don't I think, think it was his idea, but he definitely popularized it, or he brought it to. He I thought it, it was light, his idea know? to like scoop him down so he can move super fast. A lot. About I know a lot of guitar players that like kind of think that's lame. They're like, "Come on, dude, just fucking play." You ever played one? It feels pretty weird. It feels weird, and here's what sucks about it: you have to play delicately. Yeah. If you, you, you don't, can't, you can't lay in. No, because if you do, you're going to basically push. Because since there's not as much wood in between those, those frets, you're going to push that string down, downward towards the wood. Now there's more space there, thus making the string go sharp and out of tune. It'll go sharp for sure. What I like about what Kirk did. And, you know, Kirk, we're going to inevitably talk about Kirk's 
reputation as a guitar player, the shorthand criticism of him, what's right. fair about it and what's not fair. We're going to sure. get into this of course, shit. Yeah. What I think is interesting about what Kirk did is it's just the 17th through 24th frets that are scalloped. So he can do that meaty, chunky metal shit yeah. from 12th fret and up towards the headstock. Yeah. And then for the speed, he's got, he's not doing any chunky. Uh, no, not the, that the bottom seventeenth yeah. fret. Seventeenth fret on is all about speed, and and seventeenth fret is way up there already. Um, so uh, yeah, that high he's only doing like super fast shit. So it it does make sense. And most most normal guitars, your average Strat or Tele, they have twenty one, twenty two frets. Twenty four is kind of it, very metal. Came with the evolution of of heavy music and metal music. Right. Um, we move on to an odd an odd submission in Kirk's guitars but I did include it because I know people have talked about these guitars they're the 1988 Tom Anderson Pro-Am guitars and he had three types gold and white that had this black bowling finish they're kind of smoky looking yeah yeah and then he had a red one with gold hardware it was made out of base wood satin finishes matching headstock had a floor rose tremolo um for those of you know that bass wood is where they take a bass guitar and just like sh- shave it down and use the excess wood. Actually, it's basswood where they actually take fish from a uh, from Percy Priest Lake yeah, in from Nashville, the Lake in Tennessee, and they they fashion guitars out of it. Yeah, it's yeah. They don't smell great, but they do sound pretty good. It, they're these guitars. Gilly. They're these guitars that look smoky. Yeah, and you can see them in around uh, around the Justice era. You can see him kind of pictures of him in guitar magazines like backstage with him. Right. I'm not sure or certain if he played him on stage. It could have been just like a tuning room thing or just you know warming up or, or, or his hotel room guitar or something. You but know? Tom Anderson's are known as boutique handmade guitars. Yeah. Tom Anderson is a really nice guitar. If a, if a Stratocaster, if an American Stratocaster in the late 80s was 1200 bucks. A Tom Anderson would be about three thousand bucks, yeah. four thousand bucks. Right, handmade, master luthier made. Yeah, uh, I've never personally really cared. Everyone I've played, I've been like, yeah, that's I've never cool. played one. So they 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 feel great. I'm sure they do. But yeah. who gives a shit? I'd rather play a Fender. Yeah, uh, I've just got the Gilmore in me. I've got the. Hendrix I'd rather in play me. anything that just to me plays good. I don't care. For as a guitar player, maybe I mentioned this in the last episode or not, but as a guitar player, for me, the first thing I look for is does it look cool. Before I even touched it, if I see a guitar on the wall, I'm like, "That's to my taste, that's gross. I don't want to play that thing. It looks ugly." I totally agree. Blah blah blah. It's, but then when I see a guitar that looks cool, I'm like, "I want to check that out." And if I pick it up, I'm like, "Ugh, this plays like garbage." I put it back. I mean, half the guitars you see in here, like I didn't pay a lot for. Now some of that was through a deal, but some of them, like I, I just okay that. So this Les Paul Firebrand back here, it's an eighty or eighty one. The look of it, which it looks like a Les Paul Junior to me. Yeah, it, 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 it kind of it it looks is. like a, a solid mahogany. Yep. Um, Les Paul Jr. Yeah. So what's the story with it? Uh, so they made these as cheaper guitars for uh, three years, I believe. Like a Melody Maker or something? Were they that Cal- cheap? Uh, like 400 bucks? Maybe not. You know, I don't know the exact price back in the day. I know they were cheaper guitars, more affordable guitars. They made the Les Paul Firebrand and one called The Paul. Mm. And the Paul looked basically just like that one, but just slightly. Uh, I think there was no pickguard on it or something like that. Um, but uh, I bought that thing in a music store in Huntington Beach, California, in '98 for 500 bucks. And to me, I was like, I'm buying a 1980 Gibson mm. for 500 bucks. Mm-hmm. Little did I know at the time that they were still kind of considered cheap guitars. It's still one of my favorites. I don't play it out because it looks like a mandolin on me because it's it's not a big guitar. And you're, a, a, and you're a tall dude. Yeah, I'm a hollow body guy. Um, but it's the first Gibson I ever bought. 
Um, but it's one of those things when I looked at it, I, I immediately thought of yeah, like seven out of the thirteen guitars in here are hollow bodies. Yeah. Um. Th- so that th- this Gibson Firebrand, I was like, you know what? It looks like the guitar, the Gibson that Jerry Cantrell plays in the Wood video. Ooh. That was my first attraction to it. Because he plays a Gibson. It looks just like maybe a studio or something. Is the Wood video from the single soundtrack? Yeah, from the single soundtrack. Where they're playing in the club? It's, I think it's he's like not, a stage. But he's like not an playing empty. that Strat looking G&L no. with, the, with the naked chick on it? No, no. You know, he's playing a Gibson and, and it's like a Wood finish. Oh, cool. And I remember loving that look. And so I saw this one. I'm like, that's pretty close. I'm going to get it. And then I remember trying it out, and it had the original stock pickups in it, and my friend put some better pickups in it years later. But um, See, and that's the benefit of it. As we get into when Kirk starts to make signature models, it really, when we were these young kids who loved Metallica or Alice in Chains or whatever the fuck, you would really make, you would really buy guitars based on that. Oh, yeah. Why do you maybe, think I own an Explorer at one point? Maybe not their signature guitars. I've never been that into those, but I'd buy guitars that looked like my favorite guitar player's right, guitars. right. The only signature guitar I've ever, or I still own, and I've ever owned, and only ever wanted, was this Telecaster right here. That's all beat up looking. Mm-hmm. It's relic, as they Is say. That the Joe Strummer. It's the Joe Strummer from the Clash. It's his signature one. That's, and that's your favorite band. That's my favorite band next to Metallica. Yeah, yeah, the Clash. That's cool. Yeah, and that's the only signature. You know, there is a Brian Setzer Gretsch. He, I know he has it. A couple, is it a Tennessean? No, he's got a couple models, but there's one that's like it's real simple. Um, he he really some that had like in, instead of. Uh, Volume knobs, they were like dice. Yeah, I've you know, seen that rockabilly thing. Yeah, but he has released some since then. Uh, there was like a series of maybe eight colors or whatever, and they were just so bitchin' looking. It didn't have a big Brian Setzer signature on it or anything like that. Maybe on the back of the headstock or something. But I could maybe get down with one of those one day. That's what I like about the snake bites. Is what really what's really signature about it is the shape. Yeah, the the, the you mentioned it before. It was kind of dead on. The sort of can opener horns. Yeah, right. And then the S and the 12th fret. Well, the can opener horns are on the V he plays. Those look more like can openers. They're, they're on the snake bites, too. Oh, you're right, you're right. Yeah, totally. Oops. They Oops. are on the vulture. Yeah. Yeah. And the vulture has a big fucking vulture in the 12th fret. Yeah. But they don't, like, say James Hetfield. Right. I'd still play that guitar. Why are we talking about James? <laughs> Sorry, Kirk. Sorry, it's Kirk. Your, it's your episode. I will say, from the Zorlac on, uh, we've got these Tom Andersons out of the way. Aside from some notable collectibles, we're about to get into some very, very iconic Kirk Hammett guitars. Yeah. Now, I wanted to mention this 1989 Gibson Custom Black Beauty. Now, the deal with this apparently is it was a normal 89 stock Les Paul Custom, but Kirk traded all, all the hardware, made it all black, put EMGs in it, and this is the guitar you mostly see when he plays Nothing Else Matters, Sanitarium, um, Theta Black... He loves to play Les Pauls for the kind of ballad, except for the song One. Right. And even Day Never Comes, he likes to play a V for that, like a yeah. Karina V. Right. But for Sanitarium, Fade to Black, and Nothing Else Matters. And I think uh, he did a lot in the load, reload, he, like Bleeding Me, King Nothing, he would play this Les yeah. Paul. Well, it, may, it also makes sense on Fade to Black and Sanitarium because you got that classic neck pickup Gibson sound for those leads. Right. He does that on Sanitarium too. Yeah. Same neck position. Right. So that's a pretty cool guitar, and I just got to say, I'm such a Gibson cat. I love them, even though they've shit the bed, they've fallen hard times, and I hope they learn from it, or, you know, whatever needs to happen for them to move forward right. needs to happen. You reap what you fucking sow. Yeah. But I will say, they're probably my most beloved guitar. 
I've got an 81 335 that you've seen. That yeah, I love that guitar. So dear to me. I'm a huge Les Paul fan. Uh, so I love seeing when Kirk and James play Les Pauls. I just love yeah, it. Of course, yeah. Um, now, next we have probably top three most notable Kirk guitar. Mm-hmm. It's the ESP MM290 Hot Caution guitar. Back up, guys. About to, about to rip you a fiery lead right here. Which is made most notable. He has that orange Caution Hot sticker. Yeah. On a, it's basically a KH2 skull and crossbones, yeah. black ESP, but it's got that Caution Hot. Uh, it's an alder body, maple neck. Should we camp out for a second and talk about... Um, let's talk about the wood. So, the Strat-shaped guitars. You begin this, because I'm going to make a refill while you start talking about okay, wood. Okay, well... And I love when you talk about wood, so... <laughs> well, okay. On a Strat-shaped guitar, most of those guitars are made out of alder or ash. They're lighter woods. There's a huge debate about tone wood. Now, Gibsons and ESPs and heavier guitars are typically made out of mahogany, and those are heavier woods. Acoustics are a whole different deal. We'll talk about acoustics at some other point. But um, you know, a, a good uh, ooh, side note, a good uh, episode just to be ta- just to go through James's acoustics. We kind of mentioned his acoustics. We did a little bit on it. We talked about his Martin that he did for Mama Said. Uh, we talked about his Line 6 Variax that he uses for the That's MIDI true. changes. Yeah, I guess we did kind of dive into that. We talked about this gut screen, string shit he did for Unforgiven during yeah. the Black Album Tour. Let's go ahead and forget that idea. Okay. So Alder and Ash are the two main woods used for the Strat-like bodies. Mahogany is probably the most common wood for Les Pauls and heavier guitars, right? Would you agree with that? Yeah. Am I speaking out of turn here? You are not. Now, I that, don't claim that, to be an expert. That Gibson we were talking about of mine is all mahogany. It's a good weight to it. You can even see it. It's not even painted. I mean, that's yeah. that's like mahogany wood. Yeah. Um, mahogany is one of my favorite woods. It's a nice dark brown wood. Beautiful now, wood. Now, there are three common necks. The neck of the guitar you'll probably all be able to deduce, even if you don't play, is the, the long part that your left hand, if you're left-handed, goes up and down when you're playing riffs yeah. and shit. Uh, the three most common uh, woods for that, well, two common woods, maple and Rosewood. Maple yeah. is light. It looks blonde almost. Yeah. Rosewood is dark. It's a dark wood color. Yeah. And then you can have a maple or rosewood neck with eb- an ebony fretboard, ebony, which yeah, is totally. a black, which James is a big fan of it. The snake bite, for example, that's an ebony fretboard. Yeah, that Gibson is ebony fretboard. Um, it's, it's basically black instead of and like nowadays, uh, they can't do um, uh, rosewood anymore. Well, it's, you can do banned. you can do Indian rosewood. Yeah, you can't do Brazilian rosewood. Right, which most guitars that have ever been made that have a rosewood fretboard is Brazilian rosewood, and I, it's illegal now. Yeah, I think. Well, I know the Martin I had it was a '67, and it was the last year Martin was able to use Brazilian rosewood. Yeah, so it was incredibly valuable because of the wood. Right, the Indian rosewood is uh, cheaper and easier to right. acquire. There's a new. I can't remember the what they're making out of now. Uh, me and Nathan Thomas actually, who mixed Cover World Black and he mm-hmm. was over here the other day. We were on Fender's website looking at some stuff. I just did a gig with Scotty McCreary, by the way. Oh, you did? Well, he wasn't did there. You? It was an in the round gig. Oh, where so it was just all of a. It was just our. Everyone just had their acoustic guys. Yeah. So totally. it was me and our other guitar player Derek, and it was his two acoustic. Scotty McCreary was like, "Howdy, I'm Scotty McCreary." He was sweet. I've, I've heard he's an awesome dude. He was cool. Yeah. I mean, we were headlining it, but... No big deal. <laughs> um, anyway, so the hot caution guitar, alder body, maple neck, skull and crossbun, horizontal inlay. Um, it's also... He put... It was like a little thing that says Curse Guitar. It's like a label maker. Yeah. Above the neck pickup. 
Floyd Rose liking tremolo. Let's let's talk about what that means. Yeah. Let's talk about what a tremolo is, and and a Floyd Rose is such a huge part of heavy music. Oh yeah. Can, do you want to lead off on that? I, w- I would like to start, and this is this might be a little too nerdy, but it might be an uh, interesting point to bring up. I've always called, now I know they call it a Floyd Rose tremolo system. I've always called like a Bigsby on a Gretsch or whatever, or most of your guitars. I've always called those a, like a, a tremolo bar. I'm sorry, a vibrato bar. Mm-hmm. Because if you get down to the specifics of what tremolo and what vibrato is, mm-hmm. vibrato is pitch-based, tremolo is volume-based. So a tremolo, like a tremolo pedal. Yeah, that's true. Or we'll tremolo like, on a Fender uh, on a Blackface uh, uh, amp. That right. is volume. It's a volume thing, a volume effect. Right. Where vibrato is is, is a pitch. similar effect, but it's with pitch. Right. So it's interesting that they've, they called it a tremolo bar or a tremolo system. You ever think about that? Um, I have never thought about that, but you are 100% correct. But I mean, but, like gigantic guitar companies will call it like, like Bigsby calls it their tremolo system. Like get the the, the Bigsby B five tremolo. It's so it's it's. I don't know if there is a gap in my knowledge about semantics on this or not, but that is true. Tremolo, a lot of boutique tremolo pedals that seek to uh, emulate those great blackface Fender amps right. that that make the tremolo effect, like the How Soon Is Now from the Smiths. Bobble 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 yeah. bobble. They come with volume boosts to make up for the gain difference in the perceived volume difference. Right. There's no volume difference. But when you have a, a hard tremolo effect, there the, just the way the ear hears it sonically and and uh physically. Yeah. There's a perceived volume difference. So you can bump gain that makes up for that. Right. Whereas you're right, vibrato is bending a note. Yeah, or or or, or which when, is what a tremolo system does. You have a, wh- a whammy bar famously from Wayne let's let's insert the clip of a uh, uh, crucial taunt. Uh, it's when it's when when they're in the guitar store. They're looking and at the Strat. They see the Strat and and I think this is before it's Tia he Carrera. Yeah, he has the cash to the buy. whammy bar. Wow, sixty four Fender Stratocaster in classic white with triple single coil pickups and a whammy bar. Stop torturing yourself, man. You'll never afford it. Live in the now. It will be mine. Oh yes, it will be mine. Yes, my good man. I'd like to have a look at this Fender Stratocaster, please. Oh, really? Yes. Again? Yes. Excuse me. Wait. Can I put the Fender back now, please? Not today, my good man. I'm feeling saucy. I think I'm going to buy it. Do you accept cash? The wham- and a whammy bar. Who's playing tonight? Uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Crucial Taunt and the Shady Beatles. Shady Beatles? How are they? Man, they suck. So it's not just a clever name then? No. And a whammy bar. So despite the semantic problems here, let's just describe what, what's significant about a Floyd Rose tremolo system. So a Floyd Rose tremolo system, back on the bridge, back there by your right hand, by the volume and stuff like that, the, where, where the, the bridge is what the strings go through and, and that's what kind of catches them. Um... A Floyd Rose has way more give and take in either direction that you pull that bar. A lot more. You'll see Kirk sometimes he'll hit a note, then he'll pick up his guitar with the bar to make this crazy And it won't effect. go out of tune. Won't go out of tune mostly because of the uh, locking nut system. Right. So the nut is up there by your left hand right where the neck turns into the headstock. 
the strings have to go over this little piece of, a lot of times it's bone or uh, even there's plastic ones, metal ones, whatever, little slots that the str strings go through to keep them in place. Now, and most guitars, it's just six little rivets. Yep. But a locking nut, you have these three little square it was like washers. Yeah, there's like a hex key thing on top. That you tighten down with an Allen wrench, and they tighten it down at the nut. Yeah, so it tightens down so much that you can take that tremolo or vibrato Whammy bar. Whammy bar. Whammy bar. And, I mean, you can, you've seen guys that'll go like, they do, it, it's called a dive bomb. Dive bomb. It literally goes down to, you can push it down to where the strings are just flopping around and don't make even hardly any audible noise and it won't go out of tune. bring it back up and it's still in tune whereas i have an actual fender stratocaster and i have a tremolo arm or a whammy bar and i do more of the david gilmore i tap tap a it yeah but if i am a little heavy-handed on that because it's not like a bigsby right which i guess we'll talk about that in a second it's like a normal it's a normal six string six saddle tremolo yeah. arm with three springs in the back right that shit will go out of tune. You if, can, I, if I'm not careful, oh yeah, it'll go out of tune real quick. And then you next, can still push that thing down all the way and and get those strings floppy. When you pull that thing back up, it's going to be out of tune. And even if you don't even push it to where it's floppy, if you just hit it a little hard, yeah. If you're not just using it for very simple touch, it's color, a, it's a slight effect. It'll you know? go out of tune. Oh yeah. Whereas Ethan's right with these locking nut Floyd Floyd Rose, you can fucking push that. And that shit will be in tune. Yeah, and it's a great. Dimebag Daryl did these great, those great harmonic dive bombs. Oh yeah, and he'd make it sound like a horse. Like a good example is the uh, right after the uh, quiet intro of Cemetery Gates. You hear that? That's a dive bomb. That's a that's a dive. It's a dive bomb. So most of Kirk's guitars, unlike James, James doesn't really have any Floyd Rose locking nuts. I don't think he ever messed with that stuff. But obviously, James doesn't do a lot of lead. So yeah. Kirk's all have this, and that's it's it's a hallmark of metal music, and it's obviously a part of his sound. I mean, there's some there's some key signature points in his his leads over the years where he uses that. Now, what's interesting is Kirk doesn't always play the original of this Hot Caution guitar. He, of course, he has duplicates and right. some. I, I was actually watching one of their rig rundowns the other day. They have a whole rig that they keep in Europe, including guitars. Whole rig they keep in the states because yeah. they their touring is at such a level that it doesn't make sense to ship all that shit oh yeah it costs a ton of money to do that but King, you can do the same thing when i tour with him right it, i mean it's very practical yeah you have an a and a b rig um sometimes c <laughs> sometimes d and e and f and g and I h and a, i and I, I got a z rig <laughs> uh but you can spot the original if you're a keen observer if you're watching them play live on the grammys or whatever the fuck if kirk's playing the caution hot guitar you can tell us the original by uh, there's nothing on the back of the headstock and no truss rod cover. The truss oh, rod okay. cover is a, a thin piece of wood that goes over right above the nut that we just talked about, yeah. where the locking nut would be, that covers up access to a truss rod. A truss rod is a metal rod that goes through the whole neck of the guitar. Yeah, keep going. Tell me more. The, 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 and then Jenna Jameson comes in. Oh. I just realized the other day that Jenna Jameson is now like a pro-Trump super conservative really mom blogger now do you know who jenna jameson is yeah she was like a porn star right yeah yeah maybe, you, maybe you've read about her no, i know who she is she was like a famous pornography one star. of the most famous porn stars of all time yeah I, of course i just read about that in a book called the most famous porn stars called pornhub.com <laughs> which is this episode is sponsored by anyway you you brought it into porn world by the way i did you mentioned jenna J jameson first 
I was talking about rods, and you were like, "Go on, go on." Don't tempt me with pornography talk because I'm, <laughs> I'm metaphorically and literally balls deep in it. Can I say that on the Melody Podcast? You just did. I'm obviously just kidding about all this. This is a joke. That's um, not Clint's favorite porn star. I'm not kidding. Uh, it's okay. Debbie. So you can tell. Uh, so the the trust the trust rod. The truss rod is actually kind of important in guitar. It's a metal rod that goes through the neck of the guitar, and it's what you adjust to keep the guitar, uh, the guitar neck straight. Yeah, keep it balanced. When it's when it's, I mean, guitars are made out of wood, obviously. When it's hot, when it's cold, wood con- constricts and expands. And yeah, the truss rod is what keeps the neck straight and keeps everything intonated. Right. Yeah, it's an important part of a guitar. Yeah, yeah. It, it was oftentimes when I was out uh, teching with Kings Leon. You know, I would have to adjust the truss rod. You know, we would be up in Canada in like February and it's really fucking cold. And, you know, you pull a guitar out of a case and it adjusts the temperature of the room, but there's something off about it. And there's ways to, you know, to, to measure. Essentially, you know, you, you want to measure, um, not necessarily with a ruler or anything, but you base the distance when you push down the first and last, or first and 15th fret. Or you, really, where the curve of the neck is on the by the body. And, and you, you want a slight bow in the neck. A slight bow. You don't yeah. want it to be completely flush. Right. But yeah, I would often have to adjust that kind of stuff, yeah. and it's not hard. Yeah, it Allen know. wrench, right? Is yeah, how you... Allen wrench. Yeah, it's not a hard thing to do. A lot of people that are learning how to work on guitars are really intimidated by that because you know you immediately think like I'm going to snap the neck. Mm. You're not going to, or do like irreparable damage. Right, exactly. But no, it's it's a pretty easy thing to work on. Now, this is the first guitar we run into that is a production line signature model. Guess how much the ESP one is? Don't look. Just guess. Five thousand dollars. It is $5,000. I can guess right. It's $5,000. Now, Glenn, you can, tell him what, tell Ethan what he's won today. <laughs> uh, you've won a divorce from your wife because you bought a $5,000 Kirk Hammett wow, signature guitar. you're so correct. Now, you can buy the LTD version, which is the more economy version, for 1000 bucks. But goddamn, $5,000? Are people buying these? I mean, I know that's... That's high. It's very high. I know it's a really well-made guitar, Handmade, handcrafted in Japan, artisan. But but I could see like make the nice one twenty four ninety nine, make the economy one eight ninety nine. Yeah, you will sell more. Hire me to be your. Liaison. Why do you think Fender has been doing so well lately? They have economy guitars that are badass. You to, got it. To, to your right, that Fender Coronado I have right there. <laughs> to my right, to the listeners' right. To the listener's right. On your toilet. I have a <laughs> Fender Coronado, right. which is a reissue. You will see a roll of toilet paper that you would use to wipe your bum. Yeah. Just above that, a black 2015, 14? Whenever they were Are you asking it? me how old that guitar How old your guitar Thinking is? Out loud. Oh, I believe. Hold on. Hold on. Judging by Let the block do a carbon inlays. dating test here. But anyways, all to say, uh, that guitar is a reissue of what they, they used to make in the 60s, which flopped, and I think it flopped again because they d- discontinued it. The Coronado. But it's a badass guitar. It's like a 335 double cutaway hollow body with the classic 70s bigger Fender headstock, but a little different. And they they went for like seven I, I could, I can, $799. I can tell you why it failed. No one wants to see a, th- a 335 arch top with a f- Fender headstock. Guess who does and bought one. No one wants to see six in a line versus the three to a side. See, I think it looks so cool because it's so unique looking. Well, you're you. You And I I represent America. (laughs) (laughs) I represent the the rest of the world's opinion on these By the way, not that I sincerely really care. I'm just curious. How long is this episode so far? Um, Hour and a half. Wow. All right. Pre-editing. Wow. Okay. I hope everyone's enjoying the ride. Yeah, because we got like 25 pages of guitars left. You know what I'll say to you, dude? 
I'm having a good time. I'm having I'm, a great time. I miss spending time with you, and I miss spending time with our listeners. It's well, been a really busy few weeks of work. Yeah. I've been kind of like neck deep in my record and I know. doing other work and I'm playing a show soon at Exit In and you got to get your I'm band prepping all this. You I'm band rehearse for it. Yeah, I'm gotta, the, I'm the only guy that does all the work for my project cuz it's just me. So, yeah. I I look forward to these nights and I'm glad to be here. Yeah. I don't care if it goes long. Happy to be here. And I I I do it feels weird to talk to these people cuz I'm looking right into your eyes. I do appreciate the people who are listening. You can say gazing. It's fine. <laughs> We've been doing some mild gazing. All right. Good God. Let's move on. Um, okay. 91. We're still in 91. Again, now this is one of my favorite guitars. Oh, Although yeah. I was surprised to find in my research, not a, not a favorite really in the fan base. I love this guitar. This, this guitar that we're about to talk about has largely been retired. He's not playing it very often. I'm talking about the ESP KH3 Spider Les Paul. I love this guitar. This was a big guitar in the Black Album era. And Load and Reload, yeah. which I think is why I have an affinity for it. It's like the ESP Eclipse, which is the Les Paul style, but it's a Les Paul Jr. style. It's actually like, what do you call that again? A Firebrand? It's called a Firebrand, yeah. It's similar to that, actually. It's a, it's a little bit smaller. It's thinner. There's no binding. Thinner than that? It's about as thin as that. Okay, okay. But there's but it's all black, no binding. Of course, there's the Pusshead Spider, yeah. kind of yellow spider love guy. love that. Um uh, of course, the skull and crossbones. Yep. EMG 81s, which he has 81s in both pickups instead of the 8160. Right. Because he wanted both those motherfuckers hot. The 81's the hotter one. This one yeah. for the bridge. Um, his signature, the whole Kirk Hammett, not a KH, whole Kirk Hammett signature on the headstock. Uh, he ended up adding the a number 13 sticker later, which I don't love. I don't know what's significant lucky, about lucky it. Lucky 13? Maybe. Well, I don't know. It, it's a common thing, uh, you know. In, in well, it, actually, it would. My it, friend runs that. Is that that's a tattoo shop? Uh, it's like is more that Doy Gardner's of, place? No, no, no. Black. That's Black Thirteen. Black Thirteen. Yeah. Shit. I know Doy. Black Thirteen. I know Doy better. Than I know Doy. I've, I've been tattooed there. Um, <laughs> Did Doy do it? Because Doy tattooed uh, me, and he's not even a tattoo artist. He just that's runs the it. weird thing. Doy also opened up, uh, partnered on a new bar in town. It's right uh, in Five Points. Doy is. He's one of my friends who. He lives his life in a way. He buys real estate. He's not wealthy. He's just smart. He's smart. Yeah, very smart. He opened Black 13, a tattoo joint that's pretty cool. He's buying this new thing. Like, and then he's a musician. We know him through music. He's a really good drummer. But he's able to, like, do. So he plays drums with Elise, who is my. One of my best friends, one of my main writing partners. Right. And whenever I can, I go do gigs with Elise. But I got to get paid. You know, like, I got to get paid. He's able to just go play with her whenever. Yeah. Because he's he's like an entrepreneur. Yeah. And he's not he much older than me. And we come from the same... He's from Mobile, Alabama. I'm from Birmingham. He's so, really, I didn't know he was from there. Yeah, wow. he's, that's where, like, where his mom lives and shit. Okay. So I look at his life decisions. I'm like, am I just totally failing? Because <laughs> it's not like he's like... He's not like um, Elon Musk or anything. Of course. And I, I would say he is similar to you and I and some of our friends. Yeah. On the happiness level, he's trying to figure it all out. But he, he's smart. He's a smart he's dude. He's made some good financial decisions. He's one of decisions. the kindest, most loving people and you'll ever meet. And he's a fucking sweetheart. And yeah. he's been through some shit. Yeah. Man, what a good dude. What a good dude. Doy Gardner. Doy. Look him up. Hey, Doy. You listening? Hey, Doy. No, he's you're not. not. You're definitely not. He's not. Okay. He's yelling at well, his phone. And, I am listening. Why were we talking about that? 
Um, 13. Oh, the 13. Yeah, so there's a 13 sticker. Now, I found a picture in my research of this of James playing this guitar. Yeah. It looks so weird on James. I'm sure it does. They've been... They, they've been other than the early years of, of like Gibson's, once we kind of hit the Black Album era, they kind of become opposites on style of guitars. I saw someone today on the forums, which are where I, I lurk more now than I... Um, I lurk more there now than I... I post. comment yeah. or post because it's hard. It's murky. I, man, I, I I gotta be honest. I, I kinda I kinda gave up on the forums. It's hard. It ju- it's hard in, over there. In general, and I've discussed this before, in general, like I mean I post stuff on Instagram and Twitter from time to time, but I'm kinda I, I, the older I get, I'm kinda getting more in James mode where I'm kinda just withdrawing from a lot of it. Well, because I know I'm gonna get sucked in. I, I totally agree, and and like it's like a YouTube comment section. I'm way more active in the podcast socials than my own personal socials, and even then, I, I'm with you. It's it's getting harder on the forums, especially now during kind of a hiatus. The, the 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 boys are on a break, and there's some really strong personalities that kind of rule the roost over there, and I don't I don't have a lot of respect over there for right. for reasons that I are maybe justified maybe that aren't but i can't see yeah them because i'm me yeah and so that discourages me like but we do have some like big allies over there who have great voices there kent bell the dude is the big collector who made yeah. that whole collection thing oh yeah he's well respected over there we we have a lot of allies there but i i'm i don't know i i have a weird vibe over there so i lurk mostly these days right right um but i did see someone today that was like James has the coolest out of all the years of guitars. James is the coolest, you know. But the reactionary devil's advocate me was like, I don't know. All the horror shit we're about to get into is pretty cool. Yeah. But I guess if I was really asked in a vacuum, I agree. They they do diverge. They do diverge. I mean, I, I'm I'm with whoever said that on the forums. It, it's true. And this right? is no not dogging Kirk's guitars at all. Well, because we're about to get into some of Kirk's coolest shit. Of but, course, yeah. But, but if, yeah, if but I had, if, if I if someone gunned ahead said, "Hey, Kirk's or James's guitars," James. But I will say just just to sort of balance the scales here, if I can, the Trucksters I hated. Didn't love the Trucksters and uh, and the Grinch, the Viper Grinch. Yeah, I don't like that one. Either. Hate. But that's it. Yeah, that's it. Anything that is an explorer or a snake bite. I mean, there's so many cool ones James plays. Well, true. That's true. All right, that's true. Let's move along and see. Let's move along. Let's move along. All right. Back um, to Kirk. The 1991 ESP MV290, which is a... So, ESP was like, we want to make you a flying V. Yeah. Because, dude, Gibson... James has talked about this. I think he did it in an Instagram post before he split from Instagram several years dude this fucking cat's driving it's like it's like a character now there's a cat in my in garage room. right now it's my friend's cat's living here temporarily kit. his name is kit fox kit i fox. think they maybe thought he looks kind of like a fox and he was a kitten when they got him so they kitten fox but i, I maybe shortened he's a I very of, curious cat i sort of brilliantly posited that it was named after britney fox britney fox which clint thought was a song by a glam band i said no it no i thought i probably thought britney fox was like the lead singer of vixen or something okay no yeah and i, I informed clint <laughs> that it is it is a glam band and i he's said like, what's their biggest song i go i don't know and then we were like wouldn't it be cool if their biggest song was called i don't know yeah that's too meta our 
our listeners are going to hate that joke. Yeah, people checked out already. I laughed pretty hard at that. Oh, they're not listening anymore. Oh no no no! We're talking to ourselves they, they, right they, now. They quit listening. Yeah. When we were talking about our our when I started talking about masturbating, they were like, "We're out." <laughs> like I can't listen to this filth. Um. Now, so ESP was like, hey, we want to start making flying Vs. Because the boys have had a weird relationship with Gibson. They couldn't get Gibson to really get on board, even though they were both playing Vs. For like 10 years at this point. the Explorers, the so what, the more beer, they just couldn't figure it out, couldn't figure out a deal. So ESP in 91 was like, hey, we'll make you one. It had one active EMG 81 in the bridge, and it was black with a white pit guard. You may have seen it from the Black Album world. Yeah. Um... And now this was the basis for what they were going to call the KH-1. So we've already got the KH-2, which was the Zorlac yeah. ESP, but they were going to do this KH-1, which is going to be a V, I'm guessing because they wanted to go back to kill them all. Old school days. Let's make it KH-1, yeah. the V. And it's cool. It's got these dancing devil inlays, and and Kurt played it a lot. Yeah. It, it's kind of a staple of 91. However, he would soon move on, and we no longer really see it. Um in 94, he bought a 1960 Gibson Les Paul Sunburst, which 58, 59, and 60 are huge collectible years for Les Pauls. Oh, yeah. The only reason I wanted to bring this up is because there was a phase during the Shit Hits the Sheds tour in 94 where Kirk had dreadlocks. <laughs> Paul? Paul? And I wanted to bring this up because there's a famous picture of, you know, when people talk about oh, Kirk had dreads, when you Google that, you can only find a few pictures of right. it. Oddly. But it happened. And in one of the pictures, he's playing this last I think Paul. it was his reggae phase. Stand down. I think he... Stand down. I think he was <laughs> getting get into Bob Marley and Peter Tosh and Lee Scratch Perry and... I'm looking forward to when you do the Melody Podcast radio episode, feed, like, doing the, um... Burn... What's the record called? Burn it... Uh, let it burn. Let it burn. Yeah. Because um, I'm hoping that for maybe three or four of the songs... You talk about how you invited me to help you write them, and then it never happened. Oh my gosh! Album number uh, next album. Next album is all co-written by Clint Wells. Hey, guess what? This time, I will not be sleeping on that. Listen, it wasn't a thing. I can get into it later on my my radio episode. But it wasn't a thing of like he was like, oh, I finished I, it with Paul. Fuck, I don't want to. There was literally three songs. It wasn't a thing where I was like, oh, I don't want to write a song with Clint. I really did. I know, but. It's hard enough for us to like. You really did, but figure, somehow you didn't. Figure Despite this, how much you did, you did. If it, it makes you feel any better, there wasn't anybody else besides Paul that had any writing credits on this thing. I gotta rib you on it. Well, you did. Just because I am a songwriter, and that's episode eighty-four. See you later. I'm out. I'm leaving my own house right now. I am excited about that episode because I do want to hear about. Because you're an interesting cat. I do want to hear. Uh, I do want to hear about like because you strike me. And I guess we're we're pretty close now. Yeah, but you oh, do yeah. strike me as a pretty optimistic dude, even though I know about your family stuff and I know sure, about yeah. what you what your life's like and I know you've been through a lot. Yeah, I get deep on and this. You record. do have a song called Helpless that when you sent me the demo for, I was that hit me hard. Yeah. I did my I did what we all do when we listen to music. Yeah. I put my own stuff into it. Sure, yeah. I do want to hear you talk about why you wrote some of these yeah. songs and Yeah, um, I'll definitely, like I said before, do a radio episode and preview all the songs. I thought about on my other podcast, Pirate Satellite, which has kind of been on hold for a few months. Um, maybe like once there the is no Dana, only Zool. Are you the gatekeeper? Ray, if anyone ever asks you if you're a god, you say yes. <laughs> 
But I thought about maybe after I put out the record, maybe a couple weeks after of doing an episode on my other podcast, Pirate Satellite, playing every song and explaining all the, on a hurdy gurdy on a hurdy gurdy of course mm-hmm. well that's a given of course. um but explaining you know the meanings behind every song you know and maybe people will dig that i don't know because well, you know, for me there's some there's some of the m- more personal stuff i've written on this record um it does some, sound personal some heavy stuff well here's the thing as a, again i have the privilege of having the record and being able to right, listen to it whenever to i it, fucking yeah. want to but i but like for me like i can't not write that kind of stuff when I, like, mm. like so you write you, you write with Elise, for instance, mm-hmm. and your goal is to write this for someone else. I'm able to. So it, so it, might, it might stem from personal experience. It, I'm it, able it, to write from a distance. Right. Right. But I'm writing my own songs, and I'm going to put my fucking name on. Right. I don't, I'm not going to write something goofy or silly. You know what I mean? Like sure. content wise. So I just you know I, I came to a place in my life when I did my first EP where I was like. This is what I'm dealing with in my life. I'm going to write about it. And A, it's a great therapy. Great way to get it out. It's also scary as shit because you're going to put it out in the world and people are going to hear it mm-hmm. and maybe ask you questions about it. But um, but I got to the point where I was like, you know what, fuck it. Like, this is reality. This is truth. This is my life. This is what I've gone through, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so, yeah, but this record is, being that it's my first full-length record, I mean, there's 10 songs of personal stuff i mean personal stuff and there's three like political songs on there i've i've never really dabbled in that and it just kind of happened yeah and those have become like important songs to me now so anyways that's the preview for whenever i do this well i think it'll be good i mean a few radio episodes back i did 10 of my little songies and talked about why I wrote them and how it happened and yeah. whatever and yeah. who I don't know if anyone will care and people you know, well, people care people really did respond yeah. to that and I had a I had a couple political songs on there and I I talked candidly about it like I've you know I don't I'm no fucking political scientist but here's how I sat with it and here's what I'm wrestling with and even even uh, I'm thinking specifically about an email I got from Kevin Van Dam right yeah who was like hey you know like you're the one political song I had he was like ideologically he disagreed with but sort of philosophically and spiritually even he yeah. was like I-, I loved it and it, it it started a dialogue with me and him and yeah all that to say like I think that episode would be real dope yeah. for all of us to well, hear isn't, isn't i mean isn't that the beauty of music though is it like totally you you can you can listen to a song and like you may not agree with somebody politically spiritually personally whatever yeah but there's something in that song that you hear that you you, you, you resonate put, you, with yeah, you put or, your own life into it your own yeah. story into it and you're like wow that's a really powerful chorus or bridge or whatever yeah. you know i mean there's songs that you know by bands i love that i listen to and it like af- af- really affects me like if i'm in a certain mood or whatever it might give me chills one night and I may not know what the actual meaning of the song is, but the lyrics that I'm listening to are, are I'm applying to my own life, my own story, and that's when I hear those, it it it's, has a profound effect on me. Mm. And that's what I love about music is that like I might one day meet that guy that wrote that song and be like, hey, what's that song about? And he'll be like, oh, that's a song about um, how much I like arcades or whatever <laughs> something. Hey, speaking of that, if you were to meet Kirk, not James or Lars, not some big you wrote Unforgiven, blah blah blah. What if we met Kirk? Talking about guitars and guitar playing. Yeah. Well, what do you think you might say to Kirk? I think honestly, not to I, put you on the spot. No, I mean, no, no. I, I love this question. Um, I think 
maybe as we were talking about guitars and gear and this and that, I might stray from that and be like, hey, man, I'm from Southern California and I've only surfed once in my life. Can we go out in the ocean and go surfing? He would love that. Because I think we'd have, that's where we'd have. He wouldn't love to surf with you. He'd be mortified by that idea. Well, I've surfed one time in my life. I did stand up. I think he'd love to talk to you about surfing. Yeah, that. But he might be the kind of guy that's like, dude, you've only surfed once, and you're from the like, you're from the beach. Come live with me in Hawaii. No, he'd be be like, let's go on the ocean. I'll teach you some stuff. But I think that's one of those those moments, probably as a surfer, when you're out on the ocean, like waiting for waves, you're just having conversation where you probably have enlightening conversation. Like, you know what I'm saying? I feel like if if I was sitting on a surfboard in the ocean with Kirk and the waves were shitty that oh, day. Man, you could get into some it's deep, still. deep shit. Yeah, yeah. Because there's no one around to like just nothing around to distract you. Mm. It's just waves and the coast, and that's it. Shit. You know, like I've been out. Like you know, I, I own a, a couple kayaks, and me and my wife will go out kayaking. I've gone out by myself before. I'll go out on the lake or out on the river and Ethan like, Luck into the wild. Oh, Ethan Luck into the wild. But I'll, I'll sit out there by myself sometimes and like just weep. It's so quiet. And I'll weep. No, but it's one of those moments where, like, you know, no, you, totally. it, it kind of opens your mind a little bit and stuff. And so, yeah, I think if, if that opportunity ever presents itself, I'm gonna try to hit hit the waves with Kirk. Yeah. What are you doing Saturday? He's like, oh, I'm playing at the uh, whatever stadium. Yeah, I'm playing at. Uh, what are you doing after that, though? After that, though, can we go surfing on the the waves of? He's like, we're gonna be at the Chicago. AT&T. That's cool. Lake Michigan's fine. Dude, Lake Michigan's got some killer waves. <laughs> killer waves. In February. There's a sweet swell coming in right now. I, uh, that's such a, a much more noble path. That's the first thing that entered my mind. was like, I know Kirk's a gearhead. He collects guitars, all this stuff. And it'd be fun to talk about that. But that was my first thought. Like, I think you could really connect with someone like that. And I could connect with him, vice versa, whatever, out on the water. That's all I got to say about that. I feel like so much of what needs to be said in those encounters has to do with you. He's heard a million times that what he did changed your life. Sure, yeah. It's really more about you being able to get it out. Right. But So my only angle on that would be to try to convey to him that the best guitar players in the world, like George Harrison, yeah, were limited and not only came up against boundaries, but created fr- new frontiers, yep. did shit with their limitations that everyone, as long as people care about that genre, will study. Yeah. And he did that. Yeah. In spades. Yep. Let alone the riff writing, let alone the bridge riff to, di- to uh, Damage Inc. or Inner Sandman, the bridge riff to Creeping Death, his co-writes on Leper Messiah, uh, Ride the Lightning, yeah, uh, I mean, his solos on Faded Black, but I just think what he did with what he had, which I think really the technical peak would be Puppets and Justice. Yeah, creative peaks would be Black Album through Reload. Yeah, you know, I, I would just try to. How can I say this to him in a way that hits home? That's not just the normal bullshit. Plus, him and I have we share a love for horror films. Yeah. That I would see. I feel like you would dive into that with him more than. Like, you, but you know, I don't. I don't. He's in the classic like Universal stuff. But he's he's probably he is. But he's he, probably seen he, the shit you. No, he you is. Love. He, he wrote a blog post about the witch, which is one of my favorite recent horror films. I know we have a listener named uh, Faro Bob O'Rourke, who is a huge horror buff, and yeah, he would be able to talk to Kirk on that level even more than me. Right. Right. 
But it is. It's interesting thing about like you can talk to the Ripper and you really want to get through to him. You know what I would love to do with Kirk? Yoga. Porno. I'm not kidding. Oh, po- yoga. Porno. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought for sure you'd say porno. <laughs> oh no, yoga. I really would. Goat I, yoga. I, I've sure any yoga, all of the above yoga. I've never done yoga. I have honestly been interested in doing it lately because I have a few friends that do it and they're like, dude, it will change your life the way you feel this and that. And I believe that. But Kirk is a big yoga guy. He was doing yoga famously when the... With the fake missile. When the fake <laughs> missile thing came in. And he was like, he just told his kids, like, don't worry about it. I didn't see anything at the airport. Yeah. At Pearl Harbor. All right. Let's fast forward to 1996. Uh, the year I graduated high school. And he's been making these. So that we're going to go through maybe five of these through 2012. Yeah. It's Kirk's favorite guitar. The KH2... So it's like the previous Zorlac KH2, but this is the Mummy guitar. It's a good one. It's got the 8160 pickups, Floyd Rose. It's just like any KH2, so we're going to get redundant here. Now, obviously, which is interesting about it is it has the Borderless Korloff Mummy graphic, Yeah, and Kirk owns the rights to this graphic. It's crazy. You know, he buys all these old posters and shit. He's heavily right. involved in the Universal. Huge horror fan. Lugosi, yeah. He, but he's a huge, like, classic horror fan. Right, yeah. And, and he's not just, like, a big fan. Like, he's immersed in it. Absolutely. Like, he's probably friends with all their kids and grandkids and stuff. Well, he when he does the his horror conventions, he actually has the children of Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff. They come and make appearances at his conventions. Yeah. Um, so, it's not ever going to be a production model. It's these just belong to Kirk. Yeah, and he apparently has five of them. Now, one of them is the has the Eye of Horus inlays, and some black body paint on the back, uh, the white circle logo on the headstock, and that was made in 1992. There's no serial number, and that's his main stage guitar. And you can tell when he's playing the first one because the two pickups, which still have the Boris Karloff, yeah, the graphics on it, you can see they're white because they they've been chipped away by the pick. Yeah, and, and if it, you see any artist playing a guitar that they've had for a long time, you see wear and tear on that yeah. thing, and that's usually from the pick. Like Willie Nelson, his famous guitar has a oh, fucking God. huge I mean, hole in it. Yeah, trigger. Right. Yeah, that there's a, a fucking hole in it. And that's no joke. I did some research on that guitar recently. Just uh, me and a friend were talking a, about uh, it. For a thesis? It's, for, it's for my Willie Nelson podcast. <laughs> That'd be a good podcast, actually. All right. He's, okay. got, a, he's got a long-ass career. You're like Tom Quee. Tom Quee, like every time he has someone on, he's like, what would you do a podcast on? It's so interesting to hear it. Yeah. Because it's Megadeth or Foo Fighters or Green Day or right. Filter. or what. It's, But a Willie Nelson podcast. That'd be cool. My friend Angie plays drums for his granddaughter. Oh. Ray Lynn, I know Angie. Ray Lynn Nelson. Oh, that's his granddaughter, Ray Lynn? Is not, she dating Phil? No, it's not Ray Lynn. There's like a kind of pop-ish artist named Ray Lynn, right? You and Paul talked about a Ray Lynn one time. No, we know, I know Ray Lynn, the country artist. Ray Lynn Nelson. My, she, she's, but Ray Lynn Nelson, I think my friend Phil Schaus dates her. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know. I've never met her. Got a place for Gene Simmons' band. Okay. It's possible. I have no Is idea. Is she in that band? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, Ray yeah. Lynn. I know. Okay. My yeah. friend Phil dates her. Oh, crazy. Okay. That's Willie Nelson's granddaughter? Willie Nelson's granddaughter, yeah. Yeah, uh, so yeah, my friend Angie, who used to play in this band called the Dead Deads, has a has an awesome new band called Taco Mouth. Great drummer, she's awesome, cool chick. Her and I have talked uh, numerous times about starting an uh, instrumental surf rock band, and it'd be so fun. One of my favorite conversations I've ever had was the first time I met Angie at Red Door with you and Callie mm-hmm. in East Nashville, kind of dive bar. Yeah, 
and uh, Angie's married to a chick. She doesn't care. She, yeah. she likes chicks. Neither do we. Her and I talked about how hot Alanis Morissette is. <laughs> and I, I've honestly, even with all my my uh, straight dude friends, I've never been able to talk about, because I've always found Alanis Morissette extremely attractive. I think she's beautiful. For, for lots of crazy... Well, I've, I think it's more than... I am attra- I think she's hot. Yeah. I, I, mean, think, I think she's and I sexy. Think, and I think the older she got, she got even better looking. I totally agree. Yeah. And so Angie, meeting her for the first time somehow, of course, knowing me and knowing her, we went in deep real quick. And before I knew it, we were both like, oh, dude, Lance Morissette was like one of our first crushes. Yeah, Jagged yeah. Little Pill. And so I, I cherished that with me and Angie. Awesome. Awesome. So that's, that's a good like connection. all I have with her. All right. <laughs> so his main stage guitar, you can tell the scratch pickups. And there's no serial number. That's the first one. Right. Now, he has a backup, which has the same Eyes of Horus inlays. It's the same deal. But it's like a backup guitar for when, like I said earlier, they have a rig in Europe, they have a rig in the U.S. Or you might have two of the exact same guitar on each rig, so that if like you're on the U.S. tour pop and a string or something, pop goes a string wrong. on the main one, you can you can pull that other Boris one out, and it's to the crowd, it looks pretty much the same. Now he has two other backups that have hieroglyphics inlays, and um, he has a fifth one that's mini. Like a mini short fret. Like a three-quarter scale length guitar? Yes. Really? Yes. Uh, mummy guitar. He's rumored to have a sixth one that has the Eyes of Horus inlays made for ESP and sold on eBay. It was being sold for $75,000. Did you look it up? Did it sell? I didn't look it up. $75,000. Because these aren't signature production lines. I mean, right. these are... Sure, of course. These are just the five like made for him. he was selling it or like... He- no, not Kirk. No, like it says, uh, like an executive at ESP. It was made for him. Maybe he passed on it. Maybe they made a fifth one. Like, Do you want this? He's like, no, I'm good. I got five. Or maybe they made a fifth one and never gave it to Kirk. But it's yeah. the fifth. The Master Luthier in Japan made it, right? And some ESP bigwig was like, well, why, fuck it. Why would it? I mean, to me, that sounds like the best opportunity, especially. Uh, well, nowadays, how giving Metallica is back to their community, to the communities they live in, the All Through My Hands Foundation, that seems like the perfect piece to like put up for an auction to donate to charity or put it, it back me, into the All Through My Hands to, Foundation. To me, it sounds like it's just speculation, but it sounds like someone within ESP made it, and it was like a gift to a VP or a president, yeah, yeah, some sort of bonus. Or I don't think it was Kirk's. I don't think Kirk gives a shit. He He's got four, yeah, and a mini. You know that are his main deals. Right, so, yeah. but but I would what I did find fascinating was if you if the keen observer, as I mentioned earlier, when we see it from now on, yeah. if it's got those little white scratchy marks on the pick on the pickups, that's the original. That's the OG right there. And the, and you can also look at the inlays, the eyes of horse inlays versus the hieroglyphic inlays. The hieroglyphic inlays, there's two of them. Those are both backups. I mean, that's just shit I did not know before embarking on this podcast. Right, yeah. I, I love the Mummy guitar. Of course. Because I associate was... it with mid-90s Metallica, which is my fucking era. That's your, yeah, that's your deal. Now, moving on to yet another amazing, iconic, iconic Kirk Hammond, guitar. Yeah, very iconic. Is the ESP KH2. Same deal, KH2. Yep. It's going to be a hallmark from going, going on from now on. The Ouija. The Ouija. A fucking Ouija board guitar. It's amazing. Reverse Islamic flag Moonstar inlays on the first through twelfth frets. Two stars at the twelfth fret. The eighty-one sixty EMGs Floyd Rose. Yep. Full signature on the headstock. 
the one he plays now on stage is the first one ever made. And it actually has a spelling error on it. Oh. So it says the William Feud Talking Bard set, B-A-A-R-D, <laughs> instead of what I guess original Ouija board said, which was the William Fold, F-U-L-D, Talking Board set. Right. So his actually has these like big errors. And it had this glow-in-the-dark paint. So it originally glowed in the dark. Yeah. All the letters and shit and the goodbye and... But that paint only lasted like 10 years. Yeah. He's had it for so long now, the, the glow, glow in the dark anymore. is out. Yeah. Which kind of makes it even more cool. It totally does. Doesn't he have a black and white one? Well, we're going to get or, into or that. cream, right? We'll get, we'll get to it. Well, not cream. White and then a natural one. Natural, that's right. Okay. We'll get into that. Yeah, okay. Let's okay. So moving on. Now, another one of my favorite guitars, you can see in the Cunning Stunts video, DVD, the 1997 ESP Wavecaster. Which is like a Telecaster, but the body is clear, and yeah. there's this blue liquid in it. It's a little weird. So it's a transparent, plexiglass Telecaster body with this blue wave machine fluid, rosewood fretboard. He played it on Am I Evil. You remember the scene of this guitar? We've done a Cutting Stunts yeah, yeah, episode. Yeah, oh yeah. It's, it's like a lava lamp, kind of. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing. It, it's not something when you see, you're like, oh, that's going to be his main guitar. And we've never seen it since, really. Right. It was kind of a... It, it might have been just to, for the filming of that DVD or VHS, but... Well, from what I read, the guy who made those, and this isn't even in our notes, the guy who made them was sort of like an independent luthier. Yeah. He was at NAM, And the ESP guys, who obviously have a relationship with Kirk, both Kirk and James, were just walking around NAM and yeah. saw the guy and said, hey, can you make us one of these... Just the body, not the neck and shit. Just yeah. a, a Telecaster body that's plexiglass. Uh, so they made three of them. They gave one to Kirk, one, for, and then two for other people. Yeah, I've got one. Yeah. And <laughs> Ethan Luck and, and, me and Clint, uh, have Clint one. Smells. Clint Smells has one. And it was Kirk's tech who came up with the idea of putting the blue uh, wave machine right. liquid in you it. Think, you think that they like approached Kirk with it like, hey, it's kind of like waves in the ocean, surfing. There's a video of Kirk... In the Cunning Stunts era, backstage, smoking a cigar, holding it and talking about it. And I can't tell if he's joking or not, but he's like, I wanted to put my urine in it, but we couldn't find a way to like preserve the urine because urine gets stale. Preserve the urine. It's like Kirk trying to be funny. I f- yeah, I feel like he's probably trying to... But Kirk's some- not very funny. Yeah. Yeah. I like that he's lighthearted. Right. But in terms of comedy... But James is the comedian in the band. James is the dad, yeah. The dad, yeah. He was the comedian turned dad. He is the comedian. funny. He is the funniest guy in the band. Oh yeah, when you watch a year in the half life of Metallica, he's there's scenes where he's hysterical. Is it because this is controversial to say? Assuming the boys listen, is he the smartest person in the band? James, meaning? Uh I mean, maybe over, Cliff was overall. I mean. I, I would say who's the smartest member of Metallica. Well, I would say I mean clearly is that, is that clearly even, Lars is insanely smart and he, he knows what's up and he's his business acumen, of course, his networking. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like James is going to make the final decision. Does yes. that make him the smartest, or does that just make him like pop ahead? When I think of the smartest people I know, it includes book smart, business wise, but also for me. Um, I give a lot of respect to people who I believe are emotionally intelligent. Yeah. That's why I love comedians so much. That's why I love George Carlin right. Bill H- and Bill Hicks. Yeah. 
to me, the emotional intelligence, someone who has a real serious pulse on existence and life. Right, yeah. And I do think James argued, could be argued that like his lyric writing, his composition song-wise, yeah, for sure. especially in the middle period, the 90s, he was so introspective about yeah. his parents and about culture. I mean, I feel like it, if we can't answer that question, I would also say he's definitely like the deepest. Like Kirk goes deep. I think yoga. Cliff was pretty deep, but yeah, Cliff was deep. I I think James probably got a lot, a lot of that from Cliff. I agree. You know, they all looked up to Cliff. Of course, Cliff was a deep cat. They still do. Yeah, we know this. Yes, I mean, true. Everyone knows this. Who doesn't know this? <laughs> Who's this character? This is your new your your your, your New York aunt. Who doesn't know this about Cliff? <laughs> I like she's like a Connecticut aunt. I'm not she's sure. not in Manhattan. She's too sensitive. It's not Manhattan, but I, you know, it's like Connecticut. It's like who, Danbury, Connecticut. Who lives there? Connecticut. Peter Chris. Peter Chris lives there. He's your neighbor. I love I love the Kiss band. They're good. They're not bad. Yeah, that song Beth. It was nice. Oh, beautiful song oh, about coming home to your wife. You've been oh, on the road. You're tired. Gorgeous. Beth, who, I hear you calling, but who writes that? Who writes that? Me and the boys have been playing, but we can't home right now. What is this character's name? Gosh, I got so much development. Ooh, to what do. is her name? Glenda. Glenda's close, but that's not it. Claudette. Um, that's not it. It's two fifty something. Something East Coast. It's East Coast, but it's like seventies. It's kind of, it's almost like East Coast seventies. Marla is Marla Italian, maybe influence. Marla. Marla. Mm, it's not quite Marla, is it? No. Joyce. Jolene. Jo- Jolene. Joyce. 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 Look, I didn't have a choice. They called me Joyce. That's right. Who names their kid that? Look, he's a nice man. He said a lot of nice things. The Unforgiven. The Unforgiven 2. The Unforgiven 3? There's three of them. Who writes three Unforgivens? It's the character that basically, like, you're always questioning everything. Who does that? How can I be lost if I have nowhere to go? <sighs> I search for seas of gold. How come it's got so cold? <laughs> is that what Joyce is saying? I think jo- uh, Joyce is a good one. Joyce. That's, uh, th- let's, let's mark that as tentative, and we'll get back to you in a few episodes. And Let's mark me as tentative right now, because I'm tie-tie. <laughs> I'm tired, too. Let's mark uh, mark off that guitar. And we have the next so one. many guitars to talk about. I know you want to kind of go through fast. Let's kind of well. There's not a lot of notes on the next like fifteen thousand. Uh, let me but just count for our listeners right now. What? How many guitars we have left? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. We have twenty-one more guitars to do. <laughs> All right, let's let's go fast. Let, let's let's breeze through them. Cause, cause, I kind of uh, feel like Joyce. Look. Let's go fast. Who lists this many guitars? Why would you do do that? Let's just do it fast. Don't do that. Let's just do it right, but let's do it fast. All right, go. All right. Go. 97, the ESP KH4 Fuck You guitar. Basically, just like a KH2, but it's got a perloid pit guard, and it says Fuck You on the 12th fret. It also had the... Was outfitted... We do need to camp out for a second, because this is super weird. It's a very 90s thing. Who camps? It, It had a Roland MIDI unit in it. The VG8, which is like weird. It was like this this weird bar pickup that was a MIDI bar that you could plug into a, a pedal board or a computer 
And that's what he used to get a lot of the weird, like the fixer yeah. sound, right? All the weird sounds on load and reload. MIDI it's, means it, musical instrument, musical instrument digital interface. But it's but it's outdated now. No one uses a MIDI pickup on their guitar anymore. Is that still a thing? No, I mean MIDI, James uses it for his acoustic. MIDI but. Swi- there's MIDI switching things like that. You know, MIDI is used mostly for communication between like your board and your pedal rack. But or this something. was a bar that was like basically sat right above the bridge pickup, right? And all the information that went into that was MIDI. Yeah, and you could it was like a multi effects. You can here. make it sound like whatever you wanted to. All right, let's move on. Ninety nine, the ESP M two Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Frankenhausenstein, basically a KH two, which we're gonna you're gonna that's gonna get redundant for a second. Uh, string through body, custom graphics with the L- but he had LED circuitry for the lighting on the Frankenstein. This is uh this is very late nineties of him because like well he first used it on the two thousand summer sanitarium tour. That late nineties early two thousands era, a lot of the new metal bands had like light up fretboards, like the the inlays would light up. Like corn, I think did that. The fretboard did say "Warning: the monster is loose," and it glowed in the dark. He had three of these. He had a red one, a red one where the eyes glowed, and then he had a green one. I thought it was a very cool, ominous guitar. I don't remember seeing a lot of it. Right. I saw the two thousand summer sanitarium tour. Yeah. I don't remember this guitar, but it's cool. Like the Dracula or the Mummy. Or the White Zombie, or the Bride of Frankenstein. It's like the movie poster. They're busy. Yeah. This is just a black KH2 with like the red or green outline of uh, Frankenstein's face. Right, yeah. It's a very cool guitar. It's cool, yeah. That I wouldn't mind seeing more of. Now, moving on. 2003, we have the ESP Flying V Red Carina. You will have noticed this on Quebec Magnetic. It was featured heavily in the Death Magnetic Tour. He right. played it mostly on Seek and Destroy. It's basically a flying V, and it's red. Seek and Destroy. What, what yeah. else can we say about Moving it? on. In 2007 and eight, we have the ESP KH2 Dracula. Now, there are three types of this guitar. One has the Dracula logo on the top right. Two others have the Dracula logo on the top left. One has two knobs. One has three knobs. And then you have the uh, sort of a Celtic cross Sabbath right, yeah. inlay with the bats of the 12th fret. Now, when we say two knobs and three knobs, we mean one volume and two tone. Yeah. That's usually what it is. Like most guitars, uh, if it's two pickups, a lot of times with Gibsons, it's like two volumes, two tones. Uh, if it's a, a volume and if it's two volumes and one tone, that means it's one, one volume knob for each pickup. The tone controls both pickups. Right. So there you go. It's guitar sort lessons. Of, <laughs> guitar Sennhausen with Joyce. Let's <laughs> Joyce. 2007. We have the Gibson Les Paul Cranberry Tiger Stripe. I only mention this because this is one of his interchangeable Les Pauls. Yeah. For the aforementioned ballads, Sanitarium. Right. Fade Nothing to black. else matters. Faded Black. He likes to play Les Pauls. He does. Yeah. And he's got cool Les Pauls, so he interchanges those out. We have the 2008 Gibson Flying V, half white, half black. That's, that he played on the. Uh, that is straight up Das Scorpions. Pretty fucking awesome. Because I'm pretty Schenker, sure that Michael Schenker had right. one of those, yeah. And it's cool. It's where it's like the bottom half of the horn is maybe black and the top half's white. And yeah. then the headstock is sort of inverted from that. Very ska of him. Very it's two, pretty cool. Very two tone. <laughs> we have the 2008 ESP M2 Devil Girl, which he did a. a um, a cover of Guitar with Adam Jones from Tool, which Tool is yeah. one of my favorite bands of all time. Um, the Devil Girl was painted actually onto the guitar by an artist named Bryden. All right, we can keep moving on. 2009, the ESP KH2 Bride of Frankenstein, where the inlays were like the streaks of hair. 
Which, by very, the way, cool one. what's the um, Mel Brooks son of Frankenstein? What's the Mel Brooks film? Young Frankenstein? Young Frankenstein. Yeah, with, yes. with Gene Wilder. Yeah. But Great Madeline Kahn plays the bride of Frankenstein. Oh. And Madeline Kahn. I, I don't want to sound like a creep. I feel like I've been talking about porno and stuff, but like <laughs> Madeline Kahn is one of my seventies. Uh, I'm like in love with her. It's not even sexual. It's like, right. I love Madeline Kahn. She yeah. was in played. Uh, she was in uh what's up doc, the Peter Bogdanovich film. Okay. She was in blazing saddles. What a great movie. Madeline Kahn. How about some more beans, Mr. Taggart? Right. I'd say you had enough, but so she played the bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. In Young Frankenstein with Gene Wilder. Was she the one in Blazing Saddles that, that kind of had the, like Russian-ish accent? She was like wearing the corset. Yeah, and she was. She came out and did like the the, yeah. the tease show or whatever for all the cowboys. And I'm just she's beautiful. I'm just in love with her. Beautiful woman. I'm beautiful. in love with her. All right, so with the that who dresses like that though? <laughs> Joyce, stay out of it. Now we have the 2009 ESP KH2 the white and black Ouija. Now this was the 10-year anniversary of the original Ouija, which we've talked about before. Right. Limited to 50 pieces each. I would love to have one of those. Of course, I don't. Well, I would lo- thanks, I would love- thanks to Patreon, we can make it happen. <laughs> totally. Get on the ride there. Um, now, another notable guitar we've talked about on our Quebec Magnetic episode. 2009, the Tufel Birdfish, which you can see him playing during Judas Kiss. The super weird German guitar... With the two weird tubes. Don't like this. It's very, like, steampunk. Steampunk, or, yeah. yeah. It's, it, I, I'm not a... When you and I watched Quebec Magnetic, it was kind of like, what the fuck is that? I don't love it. I don't love it at all. I don't love it. No. But there were only 500 made, so in terms of collector's items... I mean, it's cool in the sense that... I mean, it's unique. Did 500 people buy that? No. Only one, Kirk Hammett. <laughs> He was still four hundred ninety nine. They paid him to take it. Like, please take this thing. We made we made five hundred of them. Take one, please. Now, for those of you who heard my Metal Group Podcast Radio Deep Cuts episode, Judas Kiss is one of my favorite songs. Great song. I love Kirk's playing on it. Yeah, and the lyrics to that song are just amazing. Yeah. Um, Judas lives, recite this vow, I'll become your new god now. Hello. That's so good. One of James's best lyrics. Oh, yeah, I agree. All right, moving on from that. 2009, TC Customs, Death Magnetic Flying V. Now, this is badass. The inlays say Death Magnetic. The body is like a shinker flying V, but it's the coffin. Mag- the coffin's a magnet. Right. And Death's coming towards it. You can't go without saying that. We have the 2009 ESP KH2 SE Green Burst, which we did our 30th anniversary shows. Kurt played that guitar a lot. It's one of yeah. my least favorites because I don't. Yeah, I don't like the guitar. That it's much. just it's an KH2 ESP with it's kind of does a black to green thing towards the I'm center. Not a, I'm not a fan. Now I know I have a green Gretsch right over here. It's 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 no, but what do you call that? Green, that? Uh, smoke mint, green. That's mint green. Right? I think it's technically uh, smoke green. The the original name when I first bought the guitar to my knowledge, was two-tone Cadillac green because Gretsch got the color from Cadillac. Okay, with kind of an olive pickguard? Yeah, it's like a dark olive green no, with like a great. light smoke green. That's a great green. But like when you get into like like but the black Teenage to, Mutant Ninja Turtles Secret right. of the Ooze green. Totally. Black to like, like neb- the, like nebula the green. Baritone, like, like the Viper. The Viper, yeah. Although it's a little cooler than the... The Viper green is like... 
hot rod yeah bright green if it if it if it teeters in the the, the shade of green that could possibly look bitching under a black light maybe don't make that guitar in 2010 they have the cage 2 Ouija natural which was just like the black and white Ouija board guitar but it's right. sort of a natural maple top maple flame finish pretty bitching actually yeah. pretty pretty cool that's a cool guitar yeah I mean a guitar with a Ouija board is right at my I'm wearing a ring a pentagram ring right now that's just right at my alley yeah I, I mean, don't believe in any of that <laughs> but I love the you, you love the idea of it I just love the mythology right and this and almost and I mean this sincerely the stupidity of it it's it's so yeah. stupid and fun right I've been watching so sh- there's a thing called Shudder which is basically like Netflix for horror films okay yeah it's four ninety nine a month whereas Netflix is what nine ninety nine I think something like that yeah 10 bucks. and it's just a streaming service for horror films now they did a um, a special a few weeks ago called the uh, the John Briggs uh, drive-in it's basically like a drive-in theater curated hosted B-movie festival 12 oh. hours long oh wow okay on on Shutter. on Shutter. yeah and they originally did it as like you could only watch it live on like a Saturday night I was on the road so many people watched it it crashed the whole system wow by popular demand they made it available for streaming so I've just been sort of dipping in as I've been oh, home nice. <clears throat> last night I watched Sorority Girls of the Slimeball Bolorama. <laughs> I love B movie horror. It's just a total like booby B movie. Totally. It's super fun. Anyone that's like having sex in the movie gets murdered. Like, and there's not even that much. It's just yeah. like a boob here and there. A lot of like evil demon shit. Right. Everyone dies. It's bad news. There's a movie that I need to find online called Twisted Nightmare. It's from like the early Sounds 80s. Great. So, quick story: the the church I grew up at, our played like, this every night. Yeah, totally. <laughs> the the, uh, the the main like band leader for like our high school band at church, like I played with, his brother, this guy named Philip. He did percussion for the Beach Boys, did a bunch of cool touring stuff, but also like dabbled in acting and was in this movie called Twisted Nightmare. At the time, I worked at Blockbuster Video. And oh me, wow! What and, a relic! Yeah, me and my buddy Aaron Watman. Um, we're like, we got to find this movie. And at one point I was like, I was, I went into our system at Blockbuster and we had one copy of it. VHS? On VHS. I could rent for free. Like this is pre, uh, this is still pre, this is pre laser. This is still pre, it's post laser disc pre DVD. (laughs) Okay. It's a weird time in, in media. Yes. But, um, we went and watched it and it's terrible, but it's, it's so bad. It's good kind of movie, you know? Well, even in bed last night, like, so we have Roku where the Roku 4 you can put headphones into the remote control and my wife who knows that I'm sort of an amateur cinephile has accepted the fact that she is going to go night night I'm going to watch a movie right so she's all snuggled up to me I'm in headphone world watching our big screen TV in our bedroom yeah and she's like what you know sleepily what are you watching and of course I told her you know I said well Sorority girls of the slime ball bolorama. <laughs> and we're just like laughing in bed. She wakes up, she's like, Excuse me? She was like, Is it like one of those like booby movies? And I was like, Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Like, don't worry about it. I'm not into it. Yeah. In that not not the way I was when I was like ten. Sure, of course. But yeah, this it's a stupid boob movie. I mean that's what most even like, you know, Friday the thirteenth, you know, 
Nightmare on Elm Street like had that stuff in it. It's almost like if there aren't boobs and if people aren't punished for being sexually promiscuous, right. then what's the fucking point? <laughs> that's what a horror movie is. <laughs> that's at the very it, least, that's what a B movie horror, B, B horror movie is, or what an eighties horror movie is. Totally. And yeah. this was from eighty eight. Yeah. And Linnea Quigley and like all these great scream queens are in it. And right. Anyway, I don't know how we start talking about that. Let's keep moving. Um, Okay, then we get the KH2 White Zombie. This is a great one. This has become a classic, even though it's not that old. I think. It's not that old. You can buy, you can actually buy one of these for a thousand bucks, the LTD version. Yeah. Which is the bolt-on neck, American-made. It's not the Japanese luthier-made. They've had, I mean, for signature guitars, Metallica's had a lot of them. Yeah, they have. They actually really have. I mean, in, in in different ones, it's like Eric Clapton has always had an Eric Clapton Strat, but like the blackie, right? But to have like a signature guitar that's like a specific graphic you play live, like I wouldn't buy that because like that's one of those things. Like the second you pull it out, you're like, oh yeah, the Kirk Hammett guitar, you know. Whereas like you know the Brian Setzer guitar or whatever is just a bitchin' looking Gretsch, right? You know, I, I, right. I mean. If I if I had stupid money, I'd be like, sure, I'll buy one of these. Well, it's really the same. He has a he has a signature Les Paul that has three humbuckers in a line, right? Because he's famously took one of the humbuckers out and put a smoke bomb in, mm-hmm. and the in the headstock inlay is kind of a picture of his iconic makeup, and totally. even that's a little bit too much for me. Yeah, I mean that that's that's or you the know. Joe Perry signature Les Paul that says Joe Perry like right above where the fretboard meets the body. Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not down with that. Yeah, me neither. If I was a, like a famous guitar player and then say we, we want to do a signature guitar, we want to put your actual signature on there somewhere. I'd be like, no, what we're going to design together is going to be my signature. You know, that's why I like the snake bite. I know there's a, 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 isn't there Billy, a, Billy Joe's like that. His his signature guitars. I don't think I don't think his says anything on there. I just, I just watched that video of him explaining the guitar and like, Johnny Mars, same deal. Johnny Mars, who's one of my favorite guitar players of all time, yeah. from the Smiths. Yeah, his signature guitar is basically like a white Jaguar. But it's but if you go look up like how they a- arrived at what made it his guitar, yeah, there's all these huge details in the shape of the neck. Yeah, which c- common shapes of necks would be a C shape, a U shape, a V shape. Yeah, jumbo frets. Is it 21 frets or 22 frets, or 24 frets? Of course, the pickups. Yeah. Is it a stop tail bridge? The tremolo arm? How right. many springs are in the back? Radius of the neck? Totally. It's extremely tailored. They went through many iterations to land on it, but it doesn't really say Johnny Marr anywhere. But the whole thing basically says Johnny Marr. Like all well, the details of it. It is Johnny. Yeah, course, it is yeah. a Johnny Marr guitar. Yeah. But uh, that's I thought what I'm the saying. snake bites are like that. You like, don't need to put. James yeah. Martin Hetfield. We don't, we don't need a picture of James's acne-scarred face. Now, if it said, you know, Jimmy James Jam Esquire Senior Junior Junior Senior the Second Het, Het Senior Junior Het Pre Esquire Postmodern Hes, Esquire Hetfield. Sign me up. Here's a thousand dollars. Well, here's five thousand dollars. <laughs> here's the end of these my are marriage. pretty expensive. It does make me wonder who's playing these goddamn things. So. In 2014, Kirk bought what is probably his most famous guitar, even though he doesn't play it that much, but he does tour with this guitar, Yeah, which actually says a lot about him. It is a 1959, which is the most coveted year of a Les Paul, and it's called the Greenie. And it's called that because it was originally owned by Peter Green of Fleetwood Mac before 
Lindsey Buckingham and right. Stevie Nicks, Fleetwood Mac was a British sort of blues progressive band. Right, yeah. And Peter Green is a renowned guitar player who owned this guitar. After Peter Green owned it, Gary Moore of Thin Lizzy, who's one of Metallica's heroes, right. owned it and played it for 25 years. He died. Kirk bought the guitar for a rumored $2 million. That's... And, you know, bought it as an investment, but he's got so much money and loves the guitar so much. It's yeah. such a shame to buy such a cool guitar and never play it. Right. That I like that he takes it on the road. He well, I mean, played Gary it on Moore played it for the 25 jar. years, so it's like it's not like it was in pristine condition. No, like, it's all fucked up. Yeah. It's it's all dinged but up. The and history up. in that guitar is what you're paying for. You're paying for the hours and years that were put into that guitar. Every nick and scratch, all that all the wear and tear on that guitar is what you're paying for. It's it has history, it's been played, it's it's seasoned, you know. I mean, for me the equivalent would be a a Kirk Hammett guitar or you know, James's Electra. Yeah. Or David Gilmore's, he has that the red black, strat. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, the, uh, we could think of, you know, you and I, this Joe, Joe Strummer guitar that you have, the like one the that's based one. off. Right, exactly, yeah. You want to fucking play him, dude. Totally. You're not going to put him in a case in a museum. You want to, I, I yeah, mean, I want to play Kirk, him. Kirk, any Kirk Cobain Mustang. Or, uh, right, a know. Kirk Cobain Mustang. Right. Or a Stone Gossard Les Paul or yeah. a Mike McCready Strat or something want to fucking play those guitars dude. yeah totally absolutely i like that kirk takes them out on the road yeah me too so side note, i probably i've probably mentioned this on the show but when i went to the pearl jam show uh got it three years ago now at this point the not, one you didn't invite not me to, to bring yes. damn it not to bring that up but when when my buddy maddie who's their stage manager walked me through all the back line we we, we got over to mccready's two vaults he has 20 guitars on the road yeah average he brings out like what's his fav- uh, favorite 50, year? 59 59 he's obsessed with it he had like strats multiple and Les 59 Les Pauls and strats on the road yeah I mean I think he jokingly told me like yeah both these vaults are each worth like a couple million dollars or something crazy you know it's cool but though. I was like that's rad those are guitars that are meant to be played and I think I agree one day when Mike McCready is gone all those guitars will be worth even more because he owned them and played them. And played them and toured with them. That's and so cool about seeing him talk about him or Kirk. It's like, right. there's a sense where they're big enough fans where they're sort of giddy about it. Like, I can't believe I have the Peter Green guitar. Right. Or Mike McCready, I can't believe I have this 59 Strat. Right. Totally. But there's also a sense where they, they got to know that, I mean, Kirk Hammett is the lead guitar player for the greatest metal band of all time. Yeah. So you now, know Pearl Jam can't quite claim, Pearl Jam can't legitimately claim to be the greatest rock band of all time. They've, they've got The Who and Led Zeppelin. and Sure. But Pearl Jam... But they're, I mean, they're, they're legends. Complete le- I mean... Yeah. They're in my top five. You and I have pontificated about this. Yeah. I've been on Single Podcast Theory. Some of our listeners might be shocked to hear about the accolades I bestow upon Pearl Jam. Right. As a Pearl Jam fan. But yeah, they got to know that them owning it too is adding to the legacy. Yeah, and the value. I guess it's and just the... weird to say. It would be weird for them to say that. Sure. And maybe that's why Kirk does play it live. Whereas I know James has bought like Karina's, 58 Explorer Karina's. Right. Where he doesn't play them. Like, yeah. 
And I know James owns other Les Pauls that he doesn't play 58s right. and 59s. Maybe part of Kirk's deal is like, part of it is like, I don't care. I bought it because I love Gary Moore yeah. and Peter Green. Right. But part of it too is like, he knows that by him actually working that guitar in stadiums and arenas is adding value to it. Well, and maybe one day someone else will own it and they'll be like, oh yeah, Peter. Justin Bieber's Pe- going to buy it. Justin Bieber's going to buy it. In 2022. And rub it on his butt all day long. Which is what he does with insurance. Well, but I mean, let's realistically say like somebody, some you know, well-known guitar player, someone who's well-respected, maybe one day ends up with this guitar. Like and they're like, Jack oh, White this, or this, was, a- this was Peter Green's guitar. And this was Gary Moore's guitar. And then Kirk Hammett played it for this amount of time. And now it's mine. It will for sure be that. Yeah. That's what I think. But like Mike and like Kirk, like both of them. Be like Mike. <laughs> it will mean more than they, that they actually toured with them. Right. Yeah, they, they, it's not like oh Kirk Hammett owned this and kept it in a vault in Hawaii right to me it's like a passing the torch thing totally. you know like when like when my dad is gone one day and like he leaves me his 71 guild acoustic on paper it's not worth a ton but every every bit of scratching on the thing wear and tear on the thing he put into it now it's my turn it's to put, your birthright yeah now it's my turn to put in some wear and tear on this thing no totally you know I mean, I, I've already told my daughter, who's turning four in a few weeks. Yeah, she gets it. <laughs> I've like pointed to all my vinyl, which she loves our vinyl. Right. She, but she loves this, the tactile playing with it. But I've told her, hey, all of this is yours. Yeah. Or she'll come fuck with my guitars in the studio. And part of me is kind of like, hey, careful. <laughs> yeah, you, you, right. you careful. But then I'll tell her, like, hey, I know I just hardened you about that. You can't fuck with these right now because you're young. But these are all yours. Mm-hmm. They're going to be yours. Who am I giving them to? Right. Kirk Hammett? No. He's got enough guitars. He's got a few. But they do. Yeah, it does become, become part of the legacy. It is cool that they play them. Yes. I all agree. right. So, all right. We got we're a few all, more. We're here. almost done here. We got the 2014 ESP KH2 Nosferatu. Same as everything, but it's Nosferatu. Yeah. The 2017. Now, this is a cool guitar, dude. The ESP KH2 Demonology. And this is from an excerpt from ESP.com. Painted with a number of sigils, which are ancient symbols reputed to be imbued with magical power that allows the owner to summon demonic entities. Now, of course none of that's true. <laughs> it's just fun, stupid bullshit. It's fun stuff. But that's fucking awesome. The idea is cool. It's a cool idea. Yeah. Skull and crossbones inlay, scalp frets, as we talked about earlier, the 8160 pickups, Floyd Rose, a tombstone case, here lies this guitar you bought for a million dollars. Also, good nod to Death Magnetic. The signature model on sale, on sale. Oh, it's on sale? $5,500. It's Kirk Hammond and his guitar spot. Like, for $5,500, I want to buy Kirk's butt. For $5,500... Like, what do you... Like, I want to buy... Kirk's DNA for that. $5,500. I'm just not... Who's buying it? Now, you can... Who does that? You can can buy the economy line LTD version for $1,200, which makes way more sense. I say make the ESP version $2,000. Right. Make the LTD version $899. Right, exactly. $799. Yeah. And then you're immediately selling more guitars. You're selling way more guitars. Right? Yes, yes. Which is brings us right back to Gibson and them fucking up their their legacy. 
why have five thousand dollar guitars? Sell them for cheaper. Sell the, more of them. The quality disparity between a Gibson and, and an Epiphone is significant significant enough to not do it, dude. I've Epiphones b- aren't great guitars. They're not great, but I and they're still kind of expensive. I've played many. Like I used to own a uh, Sheridan. I had a Sheraton too I for a long time. It. Loved it. But that's a six hundred dollar guitar. That but that's it. Brings me back to my original point, which is. Essentially, if it looks good, it feels good, it sounds good, it is good. Whether that guitar costs $200 or $2,000. You know? I agree. I agree with you. Stop right. fighting me on this, Clint. <laughs> I don't want to be unreasonable here, but I agree with you. Fuck you, man. All right, we got two more. 2018, the ESP KH2 again, but the purple sparkle. You love this one. Well, I love that Lars has the purple kit. Rob has the purple Aria 2 basses. Or not Lars. Robert, sorry. Robert. Uh, Lars with the purple Tama kit. Robert with the purple Aria 2s. Are they Aria 2s or are they Warwicks? The ones with the tiny bodies? Those ones? Yeah. I think they're, I think they're Warwicks. Okay. Well, we're going to do whole something, on something that. similar. I yeah. may be wrong. We'll get into it later. And then Kirk comes out with the KH2 Sparkle. I do love it. You and I have clashed. Yeah, I don't, I don't love it. On, you know, Kirk. What, you know what's been weird? When we started this podcast, Kirk was doing this kind of like debonair vest. You call it you called it the Olive Garden. <laughs> yeah, he's 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 your host in Olive Garden. Which I liked Table that. for four. I liked that. Since he's been doing these kind of like track pants, a shirt with like a witch on it. Yeah. He's been doing like a, a weird horror metal. Yeah, I, like, I like that better. You go but on the forums, on the metallic forums, people have been hunting down like his clothing. They're like $500 shirts. Of course they are. $7,000 pants. Of course they are. Yes. Me and Gene Froman have been joking about about that because like she'll send me like, oh, I found like the Gap version of right. his track pants with the red lines on yeah. them. I'm like, ah, but they're not the same. You find his actually, they're like... Like two grand or whatever. Of dollars. Yeah. I mean, it's just insane. I know. It's stupid. So he went from... He probably heard the podcast, heard you bitching about him. He probably... Yeah, it's all b- it's Being all a Jay Alexander host. It's my fault, yeah. And now he's just... he's He is rocking like... But they're like boutique badass t-shirts. Sure, yeah. And then like badass cool like pants. Yeah. I I don't love the Purple Sparkle guitar. But the Purple Sparkle guitar though... Is- I don't love it. However, I will say this. I love that Kirk is owning it. Well, then James had the... We talked about on the uh, Hetfield guitar episode, the purple baritone snake bite for Dream right. No More. And he's like, well, they had their... And James is like a flame maple right. purple. Maybe all, Whereas Kurt's all just, is like a sparkle. Maybe it's all a big tribute to Prince. I don't know. They don't They do not do that a lot. They don't do tributes. I know they don't. I'm just fantasizing. I think, I think when we're maybe five or ten years out from the phase we're all in, with maybe it's a hardwired thing. Yeah. It'll be a visual of this time. It'll, it's like yeah. a time capsule. Like, sure. Oh, it was the the purple guitar era. Because you know, Lars did the era. white Tama stuff. Yeah, every tour, his kit changes. You know, every right. album so, cycle. And I think I think Lars started the trend. I think Lars started it with the purple Tama. Well, even before that, he did the he did the orange sparkle Tama before that. But I'm just saying for for this for this one for yeah. this um, era. Yeah. And then Rob started playing purple basses. Kirk got the purple sparkle. And now James has the purple snake bite. Yeah. I think it's cool, man. They're going to end up... 
the dude who does the so what stuff, Stefan, yeah. whatever his last name is, he was like interviewing James about the Carl guitar, which right. is the made up from the Carlson, the garage, garage, yeah. and then also about the the uh, purple one. And he says like, and James is like, oh, you know, like I figured the other guys have the purple shit. I want to get a purple one too. And Stefan's like, oh, so we could all be deep purple. Oh, good one, Stefan. Blind man cries. Oh, you know. <laughs> I'm just singing that song. You love it. That was my number one Metallica cover. It was, yeah. Last anyway, one, last one. Oh, okay. So Your now, one last one. <laughs> so Kirk has his own Bone Breaker limited edition guitar pickups, and he has a little infomercial for the pickups in which you can see this guitar. Which is the cage to hula ghouls? Let's listen for a second. Yeah, it's Kirk really, Tom. it's really short. Yeah. Hey, I'm Kirk Hammett from Metallica, and I've been working with EMG pickups to find the perfect pickup combination, and I think I finally found it. This is my LTD hula ghouls guitar fitted with my new EMG signature set, the Kirk Hammett Bonebreaker Combo. Working with EMG over the years, we've arrived at this combo that's perfect for recording and live shows. It has fat, clean tones with a searing lead and a solid living crunch. Interesting. And that's sort of the video where I first saw the Hula Ghouls, and there's that guitar. There's that guitar. It seems like he's maybe destined to indefinitely make cage twos. That's like his flagship guitar. Which goes back guitar. to the Zorlac, yeah. yeah. With varying different graphics right i think that's become a signature kirk hammett thing is like very detailed graphics sometimes horror themed whatever which i gotta it's say just, it's pretty cool pretty unique it's it's, it's very kirk who, who it's, else, it's kirk hammett what other guitar player has done anything like that really um i mean paul gilbert ingvia malmstein no i'm just kidding ingvia malmstein plays the same yellow Butter butternut squash yellow strat <laughs> and pulls up to the gig in his eighty seven Trans Am. What's the car company he's way into? Like Ferrari or something? he's into this I'm, huge. I don't know Ducati. Uh, that's motorcycles mostly, but um, no, he has like he has like stickers on all his guitars and shit in his studio, like Ferrari or something. I I in no way will ever claim to be an Ingve fan. He's so, so unlikable. I have no idea. He's so unlikable. All right. So speaking of speaking of unlikable. <laughs> well, in contrast, unlikable because I I personally think Kirk Hammett is one of the most likable musicians I know of. Yeah, for sure. Now we have dips in what happened in Saint Anger, what happened on Hardwired. Yeah. All right. We have we have problems if we're going to be objective. But but really, pound for pound, one of the most likable heavy metal guitar players. Sure, of course. Yeah. I mean, he's one of my heroes. Absolutely. I love him so much. I want to surf with him. I admire him, and, um, you know, I'm so indebted to him. Now, we've talked about his guitars. What's your favorite Kirk Hammett guitar? Or maybe your top two or three? I'm going to just throw out my... You told me it might surprise me. Yeah, I'm going to throw out my favorite Kirk Hammett guitar. Um, I'm going with the Jackson V. Oh, no. That is... That does shock The one where he really... In the '90s, played on Sabbath True. Yeah, I, I, I don't know why. I'm shocked. I love that guitar. I'm shocked. It has nothing to do with the fact that it's a V or it's a Jackson. It's just, and he still pulls it out. You know, from he time to time. And it's he like, does. 
I don't know. There's something about that guitar. I think what it is for me is it's it's a it's such a huge stamp on that early '90s Metallica era, where like Which I just remember big seeing era for you that a lot. Yeah, that, even though it, you're more of a Justice Cat, I'm more of a Black Album Cat. I, I am a Justice Cat, but at the same time, you know, it's it's undeniable that, that the Black Album era, at least for me, like being like right right before I started high school, it was like it had such an impact on my life musically. What I was wearing, like everything, you know. Okay, so if that's number one, the Jackson, Randy Rhodes, what would be number two? Probably the Les Paul shape with the web, spider web. Oh yeah, the spider. I love that one. The ESP spider. Yeah. All right, cool. Love that one. What about you? Number one for me, just because of the symbolism, would be have to be the Ouija. The Ouija. Which color? Uh, the black one. Okay. Uh, although the white one, I think, is a bitch and take on it's it. It's cool, yeah. The 10th anniversary. But yeah, the the black Ouija guitar sort of captures everything I love about hard music, metal, the occult. Right. And again, uh, you know, I don't believe in any of that. I'm, I, I fairly reject all that, too. But I just think it's fun. It, mm-hmm. It's If I found out that like he really believed that it had some sort of like d- dark energy or power that might bum me out. Sure. I'd be like, Ooh, but just from the fun of it, it wouldn't surprise me. I don't know. I think he, I'd be like, well, okay. I, I mean, I, I, I choose to believe that Kirk is a much deeper cat than that. I do too. I, I think he, I think he, I think he's way more in like, not, not, not hippie realm, but like more like namaste. I, I agree. You know, like I does he, yoga. Surfs. I think he relegates that same stuff into the same, place that he puts comic books and horror movie po- the you know the, uh you know the birds and right psycho and yeah we, guys like him and i which we, we may differ spiritually i don't know we sort of compartmentalize all that a lot of it has to do with our childhood sure yeah and it's just fun it's escapism it's silly yeah so i love the idea like if someone approached me to make a guitar i might do something like that make a like a pentagram Right, and you know me. I don't. I, I don't care about Satan or anything in a real way. But you think it's entertaining. And I funny love and pentagrams, and I love the iconography of the occult. Right. Yeah. So, so that would be my number one. Um, my number two might be that spider guitar, just like yeah. you, just because it's so emblazoned in my mind yeah. of the era of Metallica that I feel so closely tethered to. Yeah. If I threw out a number three, I would say probably the OG. Black white flying V. Ooh, yeah. I, pro- I mean, I'm, I'm actually I'm the same. Especially because he, I mean, he used that on the first same with three four records, the iconic Metro show. I mean, yeah, all that stuff. I mean, it's there was a point where him and Heffa were both playing Gibson V's, and it was just so bitching. Well, Heffa was playing the Electra. Oh, the Electra, yeah. But yeah, the, the the fact that Fade to Black was that Gibson V, that yeah. seventy four V. Yeah. I'm with you, dude. So yeah. we have the same two and three. Yeah. The Spider, Les Paul, mm-hmm. and then the the V, the sort of classic Gibson V. Love it. All right, let's do some sort of final analysis. I know this is a long episode. We've talked about it. We've done two episodes on Kirk. Yeah. The shorthand now is that he's heavy on the wah. He doesn't compose the solos. He's under kind of a microscope. I'm not sure a lot of it's fair. Some of it is. Yeah. I mean, he also might be at that point in his life and his age, too, where, like, maybe, like, that maybe that creativity isn't what it used to be. Um, 
It's hard to sustain that. Well, sure, and well, and, and 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 the stuff that he wrote when he was in his twenties, even in his thirties. I can't speak for this personally because I'm not even forty yet. But Kirk is uh, fifty. What? Probably fifty-two, fifty-three, early fifties. Um, I'm sure that stuff is fucking tough to play when you get the older you get. Your you know your body's breaking down. So a lot of times when you see like you know live footage of Kirk and he's like chunking stuff he's been playing for thirty five years, you're like, what the fuck, Kirk? Come on! But at the same time, I can't put myself in his shoes and be like, well. What am I going to be? How am I going to be playing my parts when I'm that age? You know, will I be doing great? Now, there's some guitar players that are going to their 70s that are still just like, yep, no problem, got it. Eddie Van Halen, he's not in his 70s, but that guy still can play exactly what he played in the 70s and 80s, and even better. But he's a ways. but he's an anomaly. I mean, that guy. I guarantee when like you know maybe Kirk is off tour and he's hasn't you know maybe I don't know him, but maybe he did doesn't touch a guitar for like two months and just surfs and does yoga and hangs out with his family. I think Eddie Van Halen would be one. David Gilmour, Mike Campbell. Yeah, I saw Mike Campbell play last April, and I mean it was as good as I've ever seen. Right, footage of him. Right, even when he was twenty-two. But what if Mike Campbell was doing like that? Yeah, fucking shreddy, fast. You know, your hands can only move that fast for so long. Yeah, well, I agree. I think part of it is is physical and biological. I think part of it is. They've he's proved himself. You know the work he did very much so. The work he did from Ride the Lightning through Justice will live way longer than a YouTube comment. Yep. And so maybe he's smart enough and zen enough to know that. Mm-hmm. And you can't. Yeah, you can't keep up when you're playing that kind of music with that kind of dexterity. You can never compete with who you were in your twenties. Of course not. Yeah. And you know you 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 achieve success and wealth and shit goes down in your life with your wife or your kids or your extracurricular activities and it's it's hard to maintain the same fire especially when you're in a band with Hetfield and Ulrich who you know are gonna deliver something saucy right I do think the success of Hardwired I do not think they knew it would be that successful in yeah. terms of it'd be that well received. They'd be invited to play the Grammys. They'd sell out stadiums, then arenas, be able to book European stadiums, which they are doing. Yeah. Do a whole nother North American arena tour. Right. I think the success of it might... Because, you know, Kirk has said, well, my phone got lost, which, you know, we don't know. Maybe it did. James has said some weird shit in press, alluded to that maybe not being the case. Right. But now Kirk is saying, I have over 500 ideas or whatever he's saying. Yeah. I think... They didn't think anyone would care as much as they did. Right, yeah. I mean, and coming off the heels of Death Magnetic and St. Anger. Well, Death Magnetic was 2008. Yeah. Eight years prior to this being released. like Eight years. Eight years between records. And they were doing shit. They toured it. Of course. They did a world tour. They did the Orion festivals. They made Through the Never. Yeah. They weren't idle. Of course. And then it took them two years to write the record. And of course, for whatever reason, Kirk was dealing with shit and couldn't be there. Yeah. Other than to play Souls. The solos, which we don't sort of like the solos as much as I've previous come around records. some of them for sure. Me too, especially yeah. now that we're dead. Yeah. And Moth, actually. Yeah. But I do think that they were all, including Lars, surprised. Yeah, I think so. But, dude, the fact that it went from fan petitions for Spit Out the Bone to them doing it in Tuning Room and sort of slogging through it. Yeah. Because that's a motherfucker. Yeah. 
to them playing it in the thrash slot every fucking night. Yeah. It became a live staple. Yep. And that came from fan demand from yep. people like you and I yep. and many of our listeners. Yeah. I, I think they were surprised. I think they, they were listening to their fans more so than ever on this record. I think. Well, because what else do they have? Right. I think and, they, were, they were just shocked. Like, holy shit. Like, this is way more well received than we ever expected. We got to start hacking some other stuff out because we got to debut pretty much almost all these songs. They still haven't done In My Savage, Here Comes Revenge, Murder One. Murder One. I think that's it, right? I feel like there's one more. They've done, well, okay, let's just go down it. They've done Hardwired, Atlas, Now That We're Dead, Moth, Moth Flame, Halo of Fire. Dream, Halo, Confusion, Spit, Mankind. So that leaves Am I Savage, Here Comes Revenge. Murder One. Murder One. Is that it? I think that's it, yeah. Man. What a cool record. Should we go? Should we get out of here? We have Should one more thing to do. Contest oh, winners. the contest. All yeah. right, let's do this real quick. So yeah, we got some contest winners. As uh, a way to say thank you to our patrons. For anyone that hated this episode and was just waiting for this announcement, we're sorry. But All right. Every month, we're going to give five gifts away to our patrons. Yeah. Yet another reason to get on board. Even if you only do a dollar, you're in the running for these prizes. So, all right. Let's just do it. Five to one. Our fifth prize is a Metal Up Your Podcast t-shirt. Whatever size you want, assuming we have this size. Yeah. <laughs> which we have most sizes. Goes to Dylan McIntyre. Hey, Dylan McIntyre. All right, Dylan. Good job, Dylan. By the way, if you win any of these gifts, send us an email, show At gmail.com. And we and tell us what size you want for the shirts. Number four, Sarah Cleveland, a Metal Sarah. Up Your Podcast t-shirt. Nice work. Congrats, Sarah, Sarah. Good job. She lives in Cleveland, I think. I hope so. That's New why Jer- she's named Cleveland. New Jersey. Yeah. Number three, Blair Tom's A Load Era Poster. Oh. Congrats, Blair. Dude, my name's Blair and I hate Load. Dude, kill them all for... I got off the ride at Ride the Lightning because yeah. they had a ballad. Literally after that track. Number two, for the sealed DVD of Pride, Passion, and Glory, Three Nights in Mexico City, is our friend and patron, Treat Clement. Treat. All right, Treat. Send us that email. What Let a us- treat to win that. What a treat, Clement, to win the treat. Hey, trick or treat. And number one, the Big Daddy Prize, which is the hard... A date with me and Clint at Shoney's. That ends at the Jenna Jameson Drive-In Theater. And, at the sorority, and Hall of Fame. Sorority Girls at the Slime Ball Ballorama. <laughs> For the Back to the Front hardcover edition. This is a bitchin' book. Our friend, friend of the show, and fellow podcaster... Chris Nace no for Bacon way. and Nace. Congrats, yes. Chris. Chris, you now, are the winner. Now, all of you who won, send us an email, metalpropocastshow.com. I won the thing. Here's my address. There you go. That's all you have to do. It's pretty simple. We'll get it shipped out to you ASAP. And, Even uh, if I've not been drinking, I slur our email address. Metalpropocastshow.com. Metalupyourpodcastshow at gmail.com. Metalupyourpodcastshow. We didn't really think that over well in the beginning did we we didn't know what would happen well i tried to get metal up your podcast M-U-Y-P at gmail.com. At gmail.com. that's way better yeah can always change it but eh, man, nah, not fuck now it. fuck it who cares it's our it's our lulu of this podcast god i well, hope not actually no what i reject that okay fine you know what i reject is continuing to record because i'm so tired <laughs>
Let's say goodbye. Let's I mean, say let's, goodbye. Let's gratefully and humbly say goodbye. We're at without anything inserted here before I edit this episode, which may not even happen tonight. We'll see. It's already midnight. Uh, we're at two hours and forty-six minutes, and we did it. We talked about Kirk's guitars. I hope you liked it. I hope you're grateful. I hope you love and praise us more. Ooh. Just kidding. You've been requesting gear episodes for a long time, and we have finally yeah, dove we into that. We're, we're getting through it. We're going to get to Rob. We're going to get to Jason, which would be cool. We're going to get to Cliff, Lars. Well, we're going to have a whole conversation about the amps, about fractals versus tube amps. Yeah. We're going to talk about Kempers. We're going to talk about effects pedals. Kirk has his own line of effects pedals. Yeah, we're going to get through all that stuff. We're going to do all that stuff. So, everything. We are grateful for all of you listening out there. Of course. We'll see you on the socials throughout the week, and we'll see you next week on the flip-flop. God damn it. Peace. Adios. If you were our advisor, what would you say? And then I would say, delete that. <laughs> <laughs>